Hi, Eddie here. Red and I have used Zencaster to record all of our episodes of Punk Rock Elite because it's easy, browser-based, and it gives us separate tracks that are easy for me to edit. It can also be used for 4K video too. Maybe we'll try that one day. It's really easy to use. It can do a lot of the editing for you, clipping out your ums and ahs, and adding an EQ to bring out the best in your voice, all from a single website. If you want to make a podcast but aren't sure how to go about it, then Zencaster provides everything you need to record, edit and distribute your new show to Spotify, Apple and a ton of other places that people get their podcasts. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use our code PUNKROCKELITE and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs It's time to share your story. Punk Rock Elite, a podcast about no effects. Anything quite as thrilling as an evening at the theatre? Oh, darling, I love it. Absolutely not. Absolutely. What, of course, we have to keep in mind is that uh, we're going to be having two nights at the theatre. No. Yes, we get to see half of a show and then come back (laughs) another time. (laughs) Well, I've got my tiny binoculars at the ready. Excellent. Good. Yes. One's opera glasses are back from the opera glass cleaners. I have got my fold down top hat, which I will be sitting (laughs) upon. So yes, today we have got tickets to go and see Home Street Home the Musical. Absolutely. It's uh, pretty exciting. It's a hot ticket in that uh, it was only available to see in the past uh, at the time of recording. So we are watching, if you want to watch, I highly recommend watching this first, because we're going to be talking about a lot, we're going to be spoiling it, we're going to be talking about the plot, all the songs, we're going to be discussing this in a great deal of depth, so you can find it, Home Street Home by Fat Mike, um, on a YouTube channel called Trashly, and they've got the whole thing, uh, very, I don't think we even mentioned this in the uh, thing, but it's filmed really, really nicely. Yeah, it is. It's, it's you know, up. like, um, cause obviously, I mean, I don't, I, I assume listeners have, have watched it, but it's, it's all available on YouTube and it's a, a perfectly decent recording. Yep. Really good. The sounds good. The, the editing is nice. Um, little intro bit with uh, fat Mike does a bit of, uh, discussion of it. Um, and all the rest of it. So do watch that. Um, and while you're watching that, uh, we'll do the normal chatting about shit that no one cares about. So, uh, Red, what have you been up to? Uh, you know what? You know, I'm still um, I'm still sad that my rabbit passed away last week. Of course. So, I've you know, like with all people dealing with grief, I'm moving through life slightly slower. I'm trying to be, like, kind to myself. And by that, I mean I am cancelling all all my plans like if i have a dinner penciled in with you or a gig that is getting cancelled so i can stay at home yeah and <laughs> look after myself quite right too uh i uh 
I I am uh, I have uh, my mental health has been in the bin for about three months now. But oh, uh, no. I, I didn't go around telling everyone about it. No, um, so <laughs> no, uh, I it's only because I've just uh, I've just realised. You know, when you don't realise that you're in a, a proper shit way. Yeah, absolutely. And then you and then you sort of something happens and you go, oh, that isn't normal or good. <laughs> yes, very much. Oh no, am I unwell? Oh yeah. So uh, I've done that. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, very possibly on the day that this goes out, while you're all talking, I'll be talking to my new therapist. Yeah, it took me until the age of forty to be able to afford a therapist. Yeah, they so, are expensive. They're expensive. I, and, I actually uh, saw my therapist yesterday because, like, the moment my rabbit passed away, I was like, "Oh, I need to talk to the man." Um, yeah. So. Yeah, but it's expensive. You demanded to speak to the manager. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Read Karen out through grief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, it's not been a, a thing, but uh, yeah, so hopefully I'll just go, um, uh, what medicine is there for OCD? And they'll go, none. And I'll go, oh, shit, that means, evolved, that means doing the work, doesn't it? <laughs> so, uh, so I'm going to start doing the work but um even do you know what it's mad and we're going to be talking about heavier topics than this during today's show i uh, should point out so uh you know be prepared this is this is the little light relief of just just mild grief and general <laughs> uh, mental health problems um uh my mild grief uh i was talking about not yours uh my my grief is mild because i'm essentially grieving how long i have spent my life feeling like absolute shit and thinking that that was just how existence was <laughs> um like oh no way that's so i'm still coming to terms with that um but um but what's good is that during all this time we've actually been working on loads of shit that is going to be some of the coolest stuff that we've ever done hmm. so oh, yeah. i'm hoping if I do the work properly, I might actually be able to feel what humans call enjoyment from <laughs> doing these really cool things that I know academically are cool. Um, but I've just sort of gone, yeah, okay, cool. Right, that happened. Nice one. Um, brilliant. <laughs> Maybe I'll remember that with an emotion one day. Um, so we are, let me see, when's this going out? This will be going out on the 5th, Monday, the 5th of February. Mm-hmm. It won't be Monday the 12th of February, but we are saying now that on Wednesday the 14th of February, because we are so romantically drawn towards you, yeah, we are going to be making the announcement. On, on the 14th, on Valentine's Day. It, it was in the group chat, Red. Uh, but i understand you might have just been paying cursory uh, glances to those given that you are a grieving uh, a grieving gentle them at the moment so that is fine but yes 14th of february we are making an announcement it's an announcement that we are going to be making with midlife punk podcast yeah it is a a co-production, I suppose. Production? It's a co. It's a it's a collaborative project we're doing with them. So it's, if it's you are not podcast related, it's punk related. It's it, it's, it's all, all these all things. Of the things you enjoy from the podcast will be. We've been flicking yeah. out these little breadcrumbs at you for a little while now, <laughs> and um, and you'll be going, oh yeah, that oh yeah yeah yeah. It'll be like a, a really good who done it right at the end. 
we'll be stood at the fireplace wondering you'll be wondering why we've called you all here and then you'll go <laughs> oh of course and then one of you will go Mrr! and your monocle will fall out um I, it's a very specific who done it i'm thinking of so um it's super exciting it is related to no effects it is related to punk in a wider sense it is something we've been working on since what september yeah and it is something that will come to fruition in the summer months but we want you to know about it in the middle of february absolutely and it's super exciting and pardon me and genuinely something i think you are going to get a kick out of uh, that's what i was going to say if you're not subscribed to to midlife punk podcast go and do that now because they'll be having information we'll be having information you should be listening to them anyway because they have really cool up and coming punk bands they interview them all the time they have mm-hmm. recommendations for new music they're all sorts of great stuff so follow them <clears throat> subscribe to them anyway because they are well worth it yeah they are a lot uh, also if you think that we're a bit pollyanna about everything and try and see the positives and everything oh midlife punk podcast is quite a tonic oh um, yeah, yeah yeah yeah. they're yeah. a lot more scathing than us um in a way <laughs> that we could only hope to be but you know we're just a couple of middle class ponces we we have to we have to be nice about everything so that's uh that's how we are <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully we will both feel a lot better as a result of uh, those things but uh, we're going to try and do the work and make things better for you sorry about the audio quality from last time try and do better this time hopefully you're listening to something that sounds cooler Mm. Uh, we'll point that out Um, I think we've been talking for a while so this we know right you've seen how long this episode is we know yeah we know and we're sorry we know it's okay we this is part one (laughs) This of is the two, lo- though. Of There's two. only going to be two. Part one of two. We promised that. Part one of two. And definitely, this is, so far, the longest thing that we've ever covered. It's two hours long. It takes two hours to watch this. Mm-hmm. Two hours 15 if you went to see it in the thing, because there's your your, um, uh, your your interval and whatnot. And um, so we cover roughly an hour of Home Street Home, the musical. Uh, and we've got a special guest, haven't we? We do indeed. Um, it's it's my fiance. Yeah, I was going to say, it's more appropriate <laughs> that you introduce her, I think. Yes, we have Kate. Uh, Kate Mitchell is going to be going through it. Now, we didn't really... Uh, I, Kate was so excited about talking about this. She'd been bottling it up mm-hmm. that we kind of passed over the introduction bit so uh and she's had to and she's had to sort of dash out uh mm-hmm. to to get on with her real life um so um red can you give us a potted intro of kate's experiences regarding musical theater and all the rest of it absolutely i mean she's she's a musical theater kid um <laughs> she's uh performed all of her adult life um she's worked as uh an actress uh, she's worked in crew you know she's been an assistant director she's currently a general manager of a theatre here in Sheffield, the Montgomery Theatre, um, that's currently undergoing some refurbishments. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, she has been a lifelong lover of musical theatre. And we thought, you know, I, I know you're more a fan of musical theatre than myself, but yes. we thought we'd really bring in the big guns and have a, a proper expert of the genre discuss this piece of musical theatre with us. Yeah, I mean, as far as my interest in musical theatre... Once I 
I I sort of I I liked it because I was a show off as a kid and and had mm-hmm. no friends and that's really helpful um for musical theater um but then I you know I so my my parents found me uh, a place I could go and do that and then I did that until I was maybe 12 yeah 12 just 13 and then um I got asked to join a band and I basically stopped doing everything that wasn't being in that band until I was 18 so and also you know when you're 13 and you're trying to be in a punk band you don't really talk about how much you enjoy musicals so um because you know you can't be you know who's who's their genuine self at 13 no one so um all that kind of thing so i i don't have the experience or knowledge of being in them particularly but i was in a couple when i was much much younger but kate absolutely is the uh, the authority on this um uh, as far as uh, as far definitely as far as we're concerned and in yeah, general absolutely. i think she, she, she knows her shit so you're gonna get hit from all sides uh with a lot of theater theory a lot of uh all these kind of things i mean we we do a content warning she she went ahead and did the content warning for us as well which was very very handy absolutely yeah, yeah. um so there is one for all the stuff we mentioned last week plus a little bit more and extreme theater knowledge in case that's going to upset you um <laughs> and so yeah this is one you can definitely uh you can you if you listen to this in a couple of uh couple of goes i i get it it's all good it's all good <laughs> so um yeah home street home uh we're gonna get into it we are talking good and bad i think this might be the best criticism that any of us have ever done yeah, I think it's well-rounded, isn't it? As far as this podcast goes, yeah. Because there's so much to talk about from so many different angles. And it yeah. is, and yeah, like we said, it, it is it is the most collaborative that Mike has had to be mm-hmm. yeah. with any of his projects. That's just the nature of it all. And we'll see how that has benefited Mike and how that has caused it to be watered down in some ways, because that's just going to happen. But... I definitely think if you're into no effects, if you're into punk, if you're into any of these things, a grassroots version of American Idiot, I suppose, because American Idiot, I don't imagine will have had as many of the same issues getting made as this one, because people knew that Green Day were going to sell tickets anyway. Yeah, that's not. I've not seen American Idiot. I can't. I'm not saying whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, but. Obviously, that's the one that it's going to get most immediate comparison to because it's another 1994 breakthrough punk bands musical. But it's yeah. not a joke. But anyway, I mean, and it was it. released slightly before this as well. Like, it, you know, it, it arguably paved the way for Home Street Home. I th- I, in many ways, I think much like Green Day helped out No Effects in 1994, I think Green Day helped out, or American Idiot helped out Home Street Home in the. Yes. Oh, so this is this hat. There is there is basis for a, a punk band to have their music turned into a legitimate Broadway show that becomes its own thing, separate. There'll be people who like American Idiot who aren't really fussed about Green Day because they just like the musical of it. You know, there's yeah that kind of thing. So. Um, so yeah, so Mike has, but uh, Mike and Billy Joe are friends anyway, so uh, I'm sure that's uh, that's all good. But um, oh, apart from when uh, Green Day said they didn't want to be in the uh, punk rock museum because they don't consider themselves a punk band, 
and uh, the internet got sniffy for a couple of days. But anyway, <laughs> that's all all good. Uh, if you have any feelings on anything that we say in this first section, podcast at gmail.com. But let's just plough straight into Act 1 of Home Street Home. It's opening night! <sighs> Finally, getting around to making this podcast about what I've wanted it to be about all along. Home Street Home, <laughs> the musical. Um, I've brought Red along. We've been on the red carpet already. And, we have. And who's this? Our special guest. Here she is, popping up from backstage. You're all right. My name's Kate. Hello. Um, I think I've been brought on because I'm considered an expert in musicals, but I suppose we'll find out whether that's true or not as we go along, won't we? <laughs> as we, uh, we know, you, you'll have heard heard of Kate already, uh, Red's fiance. Mm-hmm. I don't even think about what Red has already said, so uh, I hope that my reputation isn't too tarnished as I make my debut on your podcast. You're, you're mainly known for not liking no effects. <laughs> no. Everyone's going to hate me. What no, a no, weird no. introduction. No, you, you, you've not met a lot of no effects fans. None of them like no effects either. So. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Don't worry about that, none. But we're here to talk about Home Street Home, the musical. Indeed. The full show. So I'm just going to go through, going to rattle through all of the credits so that we get everything right. This was uh, filmed in, uh, I assume it's pronounced Z Space in San Francisco, mm-hmm. because obviously this musical was produced in San Francisco. Where else could it possibly have been? There isn't anywhere else for musicals in America, so it must be San Francisco. I just, I just thought the content uh, <laughs> made it a bit more San Francisco than anywhere else. But um, So the music was by Fat Mike, Goddess Soma, and Jeff Marks. The script was by Mike and Soma. The cast... Uh, the Fatals, the uh, the first three people we meet, who are called Lily, Razor, and Lucius. Didn't even know that, did you? It's because no one ever says their names. No. Nope. Um, Shalia Adkison, Brandon Curry, and Sam Given. Then uh, we meet Trashley, played by Lauren Patton. Special Ed, played by Alex Robert Holmes. PD, played by Kevin Hegman. Nosmo, played by Matt Magnuson. Mom, played by Christine Piacentale. Centile. Sue, played by Justine Magnuson, no relation. Officer Walker, played by Alex Emmanuel. Big John, by Ryan O'Connor. Nico, by Zach Martin's mother, Sue's mother, played by Jamie Hood. Uh, the dance captain credit um, is Sam Given, uh, Lucius, from the uh, from the Fatalities. And the fight captain, uh, Alex Robert Holmes, who plays Special Ed. Conducting and playing keyboard, we've got David O, who has credits for American Idiot, Toy Story the Musical, and others. Uh, on <laughs> guitar, Chris Cheney from The Living End. On guitar, keyboard, clarinet, and ukulele. Uh, it is, um, I've not even written down his name. Oh, that's annoying. Um, I've totally forgotten his name. He was known as the kid when he was in mainly famous for Dropkick Murphys. Um, mm-hmm. I'll put oh, his yeah. name in later. And here we are later with me, Eddie, hi, confirming that I'm talking about Mark Oral. Mark Oral. Sorry, Mark, I didn't write your name down earlier. I'll do better in future. Back to the show. Bass, Jeff Rofredo from Tiger Army and the Agrilites. And on drums, Sean Winchester from Everclear and Buck Cherry. 
Book cherry. Bangers. Yeah. Um, no, is no. the person that you're missing Tony Sly? Uh, we're always missing Tony Sly, but oh. uh, he died because because he died oh. long before this. Uh, no, we do. We will be mentioning Tony Sly because he does get a little nod in this. Well, um, I read something on Reddit, so I've clearly misunderstood. Um, no, yeah, he, that's he, what I thought was happening. I think his last vocal performance ever was captured on the concept album that we did last week. Right. Okay. So, uh, I listened to the concept album last night as well. Yeah. I've done my research. That's good. That's good. Um, very little Fat Mike singing on it, which is uh, what made which my, my girlfriend Emma watched this with me as well. Yeah. I out. Um, and uh, it was only when I said, "Oh, Fat Mike doesn't sing in it," and she went, "Oh, right, well, that's probably all right." <laughs> <laughs> so fair enough. Um, so yeah, and the assistant music director was Christopher Hewitt. I couldn't find any credits for him, or maybe I just didn't bother. So uh, just start off with a quote saying, uh, which is from Broadway World, an interview Fat Mike did. Home Street Home is a theatrical version of my life, Soma's life, and the outlandish but true stories of our friends' lives. When you want to write something authentic, you write about what you know. Drug use, living on the street, self-abuse, shoplifting, stumbling... Prostitution, bondage, flogging, running from cops, playing guitar, and passing out is what we know. Welcome to our home street home. And I think on that note, before we get into the kind of like detail and content of what happens in the show, as we quite rightly should do, I just think it's important to put out a little bit of a content warning and a little bit of a trigger warning, because if there is a taboo that could be explored in this musical. I think it is explored. So um, if anybody is feeling sensitive surrounding subjects of um, sexual assault, uh, paedophilia, abuse, sexual abuse, uh, violence, and homelessness, um, this probably isn't the one for you, or at least make sure you are feeling safe and in a sensitive frame of mind to yourself when watching or listening, because it is it's quite out there, I think is fair to say. It doesn't pull its punches when it comes to the discussion no. and indeed representation of those things. So, yeah. yes, do look after yourself. Um, I would recommend watching this first, which you can do for free on YouTube, uh, which is how we all watched it. Yeah. Mainly because we are going to spoil it. <laughs> not not ruin the... Ex- well, re- spoil, spoil the story. Can but, it I mean- be ruined? No, I'm being cruel. I don't want to be cruel. I think that's the first thing that I did want to say is that um, like a lot of people watch things nowadays for podcasts and for Twitch and all that kind of stuff in a sort of like hate watching something kind of way because um, it's like fun to watch something and then talk trash about it. And I can understand that. But I just wanted to say like as much as, you know, the music of no effects isn't necessarily my taste. I actually didn't go into this thinking I'm going to trash this on a podcast. <laughs> I actually went into it with a really open mind because I have written one, I suppose what could be classed as jukebox musical, jukebox musical um, with some music from my dad's old band. And I'm in the process of writing the second musical. And so anybody to have got through the process of writing and getting it funded and getting it on and zips propane and edits and all that kind of horrendous stuff that you have to go through to even get your, your musical to a sort of like R&D stage. Um, I think that people deserve a bit of credit for that. And so I know that Fat Mike did have a little bit of help from um, Jeff Marks, 
uh, from Avenue Q. A a co-writer on it, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so I should imagine that there were doors opened sort of through that. Um, Mm. But that still doesn't take away from the fact that writing a musical is hard. (laughs) It's one of the hardest things that I have ever done. And the first one that I did, the majority of the music was written for it. Um, And the one that I'm writing now, we're trying to write all the music from scratch and doing that. And it is hard work finding time, space, ideas, like all that kind of stuff. Um, So before we get into like the finer detail of breaking it down and what works and what doesn't work and what my thoughts are, I just Mm -hmm. wanted to say like, it's, you know, credit to the whole team behind it because it is a musical. It is. There's no getting away from that. Like they have done a musical. So well done them to get that up and going because it's it's bloody hard work. Absolutely agree. It it looks good. It sounds good. All the all the like the musical performances, the band and all of the singers, they all sounded great. They yeah. they, they did precisely what they were supposed to do. So that's what uh, I I uh, yeah that should be pointed out. This does not mean that this is a flawless production um, no. <laughs> uh, and uh, per- perfectly executed. But that's okay. What is? It's not. And also, this is. I mean. Uh, basically what happened was uh, COVID really knocked this, the production of this gone. It was, I think it was supposed to be opening up off Broadway and then that just didn't happen. And then times move on, people lose interest. They want the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Mm-hmm. So I, apparently this is being done as a TV show. That's what they oh, are man. working on now. They've done some videos. I think they did one with uh, Mike's daughter playing the role of Sue. They just, they just did a um it was just one song it was some okay it was like they filmed a music video which was basically a, a selfie stick video she was walking through some uh well I, it might have been that place in la what's the uh like the tent city what's it called you know there's there's a, oh I, I do know where you mean but i i don't know the name of it a famous place that's mainly inhabited by by the unhoused in uh in tents and stuff hi there me again I think I was referring to Skid Row when I said this, although now I say it out loud, I may well be making that up or pulling it straight from my hole. So I'll put it back there for the time being. Uh, anyway, let you get back to the show. Cheers. Bye. It takes place in about three different locations. Uh, one of those locations just being the street mm-hmm. and then uh, the slut hut, which is where our... Uh, our heroes uh live um and so it opens up with uh i've i've got five pages of notes here and feel free to <laughs> chip in uh well, so this is what so we start off with home street home the song the mm-hmm. fatals uh introduce themselves uh saying we're going to be telling you what's going on so the actors don't have to um and uh and that's where we get fatals and we're introduced to trashley ed pd nosmo and mom so in in like musical theater terms and i suppose theater terms in generally the fatals quite aptly named are operating as something of a greek chorus and for people who aren't sort of familiar with what that concept is um it's obviously from ancient greece times where theater was uh, arguably first invented but not for me to say um where those three on the outside um the chorus specifically these three normally are in other productions it can be any number of people it can be hundreds or it can be you know two or three uh, yeah. down to even one sometimes there's a one person chorus um 
the beginning of uh, Romeo and Juliet is spoken by chorus, I believe. So um, that, that's the idea of it. They're, they're a group that functions to sit outside of the action to be able to either A, tell the story and push the plot along, or B, to maybe add some context to something that you don't quite understand. Um, I suppose a very, very simplistic split, and I know people are going to come for me on this if they're theatre trained, but a very mm. simplistic split is that the actors on stage do the acting and show what their characters specifically are showing in the moment. So they're doing like their own dialogue and their own bits. And then the Greek chorus might provide the context on the outside of that, how the society would be feeling at that time, how, you know, the rest of the world would be reacting. And maybe mm. there's a juxtaposition there between what people are doing on stage and how they're feeling. Um, I'm going to say this out front and I'm going to get this out now. I think one of my biggest disappointments in this musical is the criminal underuse of the fatales. I think they are brilliant. They're fantastic. They come, they arrive on the scene and it's like, bam, here we are. And they're costumed and they're sassy and they're over the top. And I'm like, yeah, tell me this story. Very um, little shop of horrors. Mm -hmm. Very sort of that kind of, you know, uh, three people here to sing, here to tell you what's going on, here to be on your side and here to kind of introduce you into this world that we've got no idea of. You know, a lot of people who go and see musicals are um, white middle class people with enough disposable income to. And so they're like your gateway into the world. They're like, we're opening the doors, come on in, see what's going on. And then they disappear. <laughs> And you don't see them for the rest of it, really. There's a very, very funny comment about the set looking like Rent, which yeah. is true and funny and hilarious. And I thought that that would be great if you kept using the fatales in that way to call back reference to, doesn't this look like this? And, oh, well, that just sounds like something from Avenue Q. And you can tell that this, the Avenue Q team on it and blah, blah, and all that kind of stuff. Like, keep mm -hmm. being cynical about musical theatre. There is so much that we rob from one show to another, I think, like, even some of the biggest shows out there at the minute, you know, like somebody out there much cleverer than me who knows a lot more is able to do a song for song like between Hamilton and Les Mis. Like there is something quite formulaic about this that you can go, oh, that song in Hamilton is this song in Les Mis. So, so and, and, and you know what? If they would have gone into it and called it out and had the Fatales constantly doing that, I think I would have loved them even more because then you... It gives musical theatre people a chance to laugh at themselves about musical theatre. And I think that that's what they should have done. But they're criminally underused and it's very sad. And I loved them. And then they did nothing. The, you're, I think you're right. And I, I do agree. I think they are really, really good. And the, the performers are really, really great. Mm. And I, but I think that the, the thing there is that people don't mind being razzed having the piss taken if it's being done by people who clearly have an understanding yes and an appreciation of what that is mm -hmm. if someone's just like you know if, if to, to make fun of something and do it badly like oh here's my parody of this and it's like surface level and kind of shit people are like well i don't like that whereas if it's actually something well observed and cut people go no i yeah i get it and and, uh, and are all right with it but yeah it, it's um yeah, and that's and that's great. But yeah, we get we get introduced to uh, Trashley, who is a disgraced nepo baby, uh, or would have been uh, kicked booted out of her fancy. Uh, so she's probably the highest born, highest born. You said Shakespeare earlier, and now I'm. Uh, no, I don't. She is high born. Uh, she is high born. A fall from grace, as it were. A fallen angel. She Trashley. is yeah. Trashley. So she's 
possibly the that's why she calls everyone a poser and is the most uptight of the group because she could be described as a poser because she went to like you know fancy school and and all the rest of it uh, i think as well the actress playing trashley lauren Patton. yes um she is a very accomplished uh, musical theater actor and i think she either before this or goes on to win a tony i think for like best oh. featured actress in the uh, alanis morissette jukebox musical she so she's it. a very very accomplished actress um mm-hmm. and i think she there are parts of her performance that i love there are parts of her performance that i just cannot get past um and okay. i don't think it's her fault i think there's a direction issue there yeah. but uh yeah some of the direction is all over the place in this. Ooh, yeah. Um, oh boy. And and I think that I think that they all do the performance that they've been asked to do. Yeah. And yeah. you know what? Aren't they working hard? Yes. And, I say, <laughs> and I say that when I don't like something, but I can see the work that's gone into it. Like everyone's got a phrase that you say in the foyer, you know, it's like when you go and see your mate's show and it wasn't particularly brilliant, but you know that they were doing the best work that they could be doing. And that's how I feel about this. Like every single element is working hard. Like yeah. everything is working hard. It's really, really trying, you know, like the, and and the performances in particular, people are really committed to it in ways that I was like, that's overcommitment to what needs to be happening here. But good on you, because you are going yeah. all in. Um, and I think specifically the character of Trashley goes all in, or the actor, the actor mm-hmm. behind Trashley goes all in. Um, and she does the best job that she can, I think. But speaking on that, is uh, there's not really choreography in this. No. It's sort of not, not in like... Um, step ball change you and know that is such a shame because there is one song in particular and i can't find the name of it or i can't remember the name of it i did have notes up but we've had I, a location change i, I, I will uh, i will be uh naming all of them uh, great. Uh, the, things in yeah the one about drugs where they sing about all of the clever people in the world who have done drugs higher achievers higher achievers oh that's cleverly named well done but um there is a moment in that that is almost Fosse-esque where they actually, the Fatals standing at this point, who knows if they are Fatals anymore for they have had a costume change, I believe, and that yeah. is confusing in itself. Yeah. Um, but they get out canes and top hats, and I'm like, hilarious, please do launch into a satirical Bob Fosse style, sweet mm. charity, chorus line, one singular sensation, Broadway number, go. And then they just kind of do this for a bit <laughs> just kind of shimmy with a hat and a cane like yeah. and i they are stood on scaffolding they are but i can tell you you can do a very very good ball change triple pirouette on scaffolding i know yeah. they can i know i've seen it i've seen it happen and also most shows most contemporary musical theater this these days is just scaffolding with people on it singing about how they feel so <laughs> there is a lot of that can happen on scaffolding. <laughs> um, and I wish they had. I wish that they... And that's why it makes me laugh that there's a dance captain. Cause yeah, dance... I, that surprised me as well. I thought that was strange. Because for the uninitiated, a dance captain's role in musical theatre is to go through the dance numbers or any complicated choreographic elements of a show once the choreographer isn't there every day. So the choreographer choreographs the show, puts all of the... Um, dances into the show kind of gives the whole show the same movement feel or choreographs in a way that is um, specific to that style of show but then the dance captain 
is responsible for then um, swinging people in, sort of like bringing understudies in to cover in an ensemble um, or to make sure that choreography stays clean. Mm-hmm. And their whole job is kind of maintenance of choreography and ensemble. But there is no choreography or ensemble to maintain. So I think it's very yeah. strange to have a dance captain. I don't know. They they do the uh, Beatles crossing the road pose. <laughs> and also... And also, I mean, the dancing does mainly extend to um, uh, ball of left foot on floor, stamp with right, which is the sort <laughs> of overwhelming dance move that I, I've, I witnessed. I, I'm not trained in dance, but that was mainly what I saw. I can see that what they're doing is trying to not... So I, I think another yeah. big issue with them with this musical is they want to be anti-establishment about this musical, and that's so clear and and very and very true and that's what they should be doing however Mm. musical theater has its own establishment and its own rules and its own ways of behaving and you can subvert that absolutely but you Mm -hmm. kind of have to acknowledge it in order to subvert it and it's 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 really odd because it's kind of not doing either so it doesn't so it is a musical, and I stand by what I said. It is a musical, and at times it's a successful musical in what it's trying to achieve. But where it it falls down is that it doesn't want to acknowledge that it has it has rules to play by, um, which mm. I think is so weird. And you know, because Jeff Marks is such an, a big name in musical theatre, and he's yeah. obviously been on the team. Um, and I I don't know, listening to it from concept album and then seeing what happened on stage. There's something that's been lost in the middle, I think, that kind of like muddle in the middle. And that's what I was saying about like, it's so hard to get a musical on because there's so much that you have to do that anybody who is anti-establishment just will not be wanting to do quite rightly. Um, And so one of the things is, is the choreography. I think that it's trying to be punk in the way that everybody is just on stage doing jerky movements. But sometimes that becomes laughable because it's got no, it's got no, I don't know, it's just got no no cohesion. Yeah, absolutely. Like no direction, no cohesion. So everybody at one point is just standing facing different directions, kind of jerking. And it looks odd. Like choreograph it, like have a moment that everybody stands still and do one choreographed movement together and then turn and do another like, with 10% more direction that could look like it's like you know it could look like it's meant to be happening but instead it looks like everybody's forgotten what they're doing so let's all just jerk around and I'm going to climb this ladder and throw myself off it it's just I'm sure it's yeah. meant to happen but it doesn't look that way also these sort of gen these sort of vague moves are being done by people who have trained to dance specifically so they're sort of lost and and it, and it start and it's the bit like all of the singing and stuff you sort of go oh no that sounds that sounds like it should and then some of the movement you go that's a little bit they look a little bit like i, I don't really know what else to do and they do look a bit lost in the direction as far as the movement goes that is absolutely true um yeah i i, I totally agree sorry i, I really we th- this is all brilliant insights. no 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 it's great but we we're, um we've we've not even introduced the other four so uh so <laughs> i'm sorry no, i'm oh, a no. nightmare no, no no it's fine uh so um we'll just uh take this through to the to the next song so we've got special ed who uh, was born with fetal alcohol syndrome uh pd the gay sex worker nosmo the aspiring rock star and mom their protector and pro 
Dom, which leads straight into urban campers, which explains that they are homeless. And I like this song. It's changed a little bit from the record. Um, yeah. Lots of these songs have. Uh, Rhett, oh, well, both of you, did you, how did you feel about the changes to the songs that you were familiar with from the record? I um, and I think Kate feels the same. Like we prefer the album to the show. We just think the music is better. Okay. I think it's better performed. Like because I know you've got like you know Frank Turner and John from Old Man Markley. Like I just think that you know like we've spoken about it before on the previous episode. But like um, they couldn't use everyone that they wanted to use because it's a it's a show that runs night after night after night so you have mm. to use theater professionals mu- um, musical theater actors um it's interesting to see so many um professional musicians i mean obviously they're gonna use professional musicians in the band but i mean musicians from punk bands like specifically right, yeah. and not musical theater professionals um in in the music but yeah i i prefer the music on the album to on the musical um but i also just prefer punk rock to musicals so of course i'm gonna say that same um i i prefer punk rock to musicals but i i think i think the changes for the songs make the musical better yeah that's fair i i think all of the all of those improve it as a show not necessarily as individual songs, but then we're dealing with the difference between a concept album where, and also all of the plot is driven between the songs hmm. yeah, or, or on the album. Anyway, with this, there's a few more plot songs. There's um, the one where uh, mom's getting uh, sort of weirded out about, you know, does, is she in love with Sue? How does she feel about all of this? Can she carry on being a street mom when she's, I mean, she's probably, 45 by this point but i don't know but you know it's that kind of thing so she's not 45 but you know she's uh all that kind of <laughs> but urban campers is sort of when they're they're all sort of slightly in denial about how brilliant their life is i don't know i don't know if it's written that way but it feels to me like they are slightly in denial because trashley's like oh don't give a shit about nothing and special ed's just like oh good i'm not hurting from the brain damage i've got because i've got a beer and you know so this is one of the big contentions in my brain surrounding this musical that I that I struggle to get past. And that is because we watched an interview with Fat Mike um, after after we watched the musical because I just, I'm neurodivergent and I just needed to understand what on earth was going on and I couldn't understand how we'd got here was, sure. is, the, is the truth. And I didn't want to dislike something because I didn't understand it. I wanted to have criticism of it based on the fact there's no point just coming on a podcast and being like well I don't like it and therefore it's got no merit because that's not that's not true things do have merit just because you don't like them so I wanted to understand where it had come from and what the merit was behind it and Fat Mike very much believes that these the street punk kids they are choosing this life and they love it that's what this musical is about Yeah. yeah yeah and I don't have the lived experience of being unhoused or being homeless. And so I cannot say that that is incorrect. But this song is odd because it is trying, it's like, ha, 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 look at how good of a time we're having. <laughs> no, we are, it's absolutely brilliant. But then also, we've also been set up in the previous bit because they've separated out Home Street Home from um, 
urban campus because on the concept album it's the same song isn't it doesn't the home street home motif happen at the end of urban campus it happens in a few places but i think they've made it into a separate yeah song or or it was always a separate song they just didn't put it on the album i i I can't i can't tell you what the chronology of those songs appearing but so i suppose in musical theater terms we would refer to that we'd refer to that as a leap motif or a motif i suppose because it isn't necessarily one frame of music that is attached to a particular character it's attached to a set of characters i don't know the specific ins and outs of that and again please do not come for me in the comments because i've not got the energy to fight um Uh, don't worry about that um Mainly about punk stuff. Uh, the lights motif uh, is not something that comes up a lot. Um, <laughs> Thank you. No, but there might be people out there who have got more knowledge than me. I'm very oh, aware of that. Maybe, but the, the 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 biggest proponent in sort of modern popular culture of the light motif is probably John Williams, the composer. So yeah. any of his compositions are riddled with lights motifs. The ty- they're riffs basically. They're yes. little riffs that come back in for for more people. So they're just and you can just hear hear them turning up you know Indiana Jones score and stuff like that anyway and in a, in a musical what you would expect is that each character would have a little bit of music that kind of weaves itself into their songs and then at some point we have a big song called a quadlibet um where all of those different musical strains from each character all come together usually just before the end of act one and mm-hmm. that all happens and it's this big celebration of look, we're all here, we're all doing our thing. Haven't we all come far since 45 minutes to an hour ago? Mm. And here's what we want in Act 2. But the Home Sweet Home motif melody just tends to kind of appear randomly. It doesn't seem to have a specific use. I think it's just like, remember the show's called Home Street Home. (laughs) Is that what it feels? It it feels more like the piece of music before the adverts in a TV (laughs) The little sting, yeah, yeah, absolutely. After Urban Campers, they go straight to work. A bit of spanging. Uh, I thought it was called sparing because I heard it in a rancid song once out on the corner, sparing for change. We go, sparing for change. Apparently it's called spanging and hustling. So this leads us to the introduction of Sue, a runaway, still in school uniform because she attends the only school in the US with a uniform. Good for her. Uh, this leads into a song whose name in the UK is really, really flippant, because uh, this song is called Sue is Bummed. <laughs> it means bummed out, like... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but it's really insensitive. However, given the nature of some of the scenes later on, it does bring a new context to that, doesn't it? Because there's a very graphic moment, yeah, and clearly um, it could be interpreted that way as well. I yeah. thought, is that is that actually what Monsters was originally called? Oh, no, I hope not. Oh, not. no. So, um, but yeah, so this is quite, so, and she's just sort of, you know, she's going around. She is this sort of doe-eyed, terrified little thing asking homeless people for money so she can try and get away or what have you. Um, and that is a moment that the Fatals come into their own because they're like, because again, they're about to do the thing that I wanted them to do where they're like, oh, well, she's obviously the protagonist. And I'm like, yeah. it's semi there. That's a bit of a joke. Go it, for it. it. And then it feels, they don't. <laughs> it feels like there was a previous draft where they did a lot more of that. And I and, wish and that that is the draft we'd seen. <laughs> 
it, it would have been good, yeah. Sue bumps into the gutter punk elite. She's offered a space with them. She's scared. She hears a siren and she legs it. The sluts go to work, uh, hustling. PD goes to see Big John, his, uh, the only client of his that we meet. Uh, Nosmo tries to pull Trashley. She says no because she's in a Les Dom relationship with Mom. Then we get a scene with Big John and PD, and I really like these two. I think they work brilliantly together. Big, Big John seems sort of dead nice, and sort of uh, Big John is like wildly unashamed. Like very few people in this show feel yeah. any level of shame about anything. And I, I know that Fat Mike is, has said, you know, I uh, no shame, no pride is how I how I try to live and so it's not easy being gay which is the most avenue Q song in this isn't it? so that is you feel like that is something that would have been in avenue Q but has somehow been moved out of that show and into this show and I yeah. think it jars I think it's very jarring in its tone that um yeah. I would love to have seen a reprise of it throughout for Big John I'd love to have seen like him start with it's not easy being gay and maybe it's not easy something else and it's not easy and it kind of keeps coming oh, back throughout it's the show. Easier. It's getting easier absolutely. to be gay or, or, or like, you know... Any kind of character arc would have been... Absolutely, like... And then we would finally understand the switch when suddenly... What's the character called who just is suddenly like, yeah, we'll be together. Oh, PD. PD. Because PD for ages is like, no... I don't want to be a boyfriend. I don't want to be a boyfriend. I don't want to be a boyfriend. He then sings a song about how he wants a skinny gym boy who is beautiful and he doesn't want an old man. And then after the song, somebody just goes, no, I think you're in love with Big John. And he goes, you're right. I I, I thought that as well. I, I I think the intention of that song is that the lady doth protest too much. And he's like going, no, no, I could never, no, no, I want, I want, and then describes the exact opposite, and people are like, oh, chinny wreck on, bullshit, mate. Yeah, but, but it doesn't quite work, especially that... because we've not seen any softening from PD towards Big John throughout yeah. it. Yeah, it's just consistently that. like a little bit mean and a little bit mean, and it's like, oh, maybe that's what he likes, and that's a bit what he's paying for, and you know, different strokes for different folks, and all that kind of stuff. So the sudden switch is quite jarring, but I think the key to solving that problem is through it's not easy being gay and also the other thing is is that i think big john is extremely miscast because if you want me to believe that that man would struggle to pull in a gay community you cannot cast such a cute a cute looking lovely man he's beautiful i was like there's no way that he would struggle no way so i just and i know the song goes a little bit into it that he knows that people like bears and and all that kind of stuff and Mm. and that and that he just doesn't have the the sort of like confidence about it and that's fine but then please stop making about him having a small dick because again i just don't think that i just i I don't know maybe it's just because i like the performer and and i think he's very talented and and it has an incredible stage presence and is really charismatic. It's that thing, isn't it, about actors who, by their nature, are quite charismatic, interesting people, struggle to play boring and ugly because yeah. they aren't that. Because by their nature of wanting to be on stage, even if they maybe aren't classically attractive, they still have something about them. And so I just think he's very miscast. He's more um, uh, uh, Josh Gass 
casting in um, Book of Mormon. I can't remember the name of the character. Yeah, I want yeah, to I... say Elder Cunningham, but I think that might be wrong. Um, but yeah, is that yeah. is that sort of like, I don't know, really lovely, over-the-top, fabulous it's... gay man, and it's just miscasting Big John. I think it's... that's yeah, it's like if if Jack Black had never become like really really world famous and like he got cast for it, you'd be like, nah, you'd be all right, mate. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely that. Like, no, I just know that. And we both said that, didn't we? While the song was playing, red, we were just like, absolutely not. This it just doesn't work. The song is funny, but casting somebody into that role is never going to work because musical theatre people on the whole are beautiful people. So that. <laughs> But it is better having this conversation than, do you know what? He was perfectly cast. <laughs> absolute <laughs> fucking shit tip. What an absolute bin fire of a man. But yeah. it's, it's because he's nice. That's yeah, the trouble is that, and, and that is a, part, a problem in the musical is that I don't feel sorry for anybody because none of them have redeeming features except for Big John, who I love. <laughs> so to then give him the most tragic of all of this you kind of not the most tragic that's a daft thing to say mm-hmm. but to give him a, a very very tragic like oh poor me I can't do this becomes you then like oh no that doesn't work because we all love him so well, if we well, love him someone will well also he he doesn't have the chosen family that uh only supportive and have given him that confidence so there's a, a reinforcing of the idea that the found family is the is the preferable one because you know special ed at the end he goes you guys always keep me around and i'm pretty much useless yes and it's like and they're like yeah i guess you are but they but they never make him feel bad for that and and so i think the idea is that the guy the conventional guy, the guy who's clearly, you know, earns enough money to, you know, have his slacks and his and his sweaters and his, you know, seemingly lives a comfortable enough life that he's paying $50 for a blowjob every 10 minutes. He, he feels like shit because he's not in this cool club of street kids because everyone who lives on the street and is a punk is happy in Fat Mike's very, very binary world because... Yeah. But Fat Mike's own outlook on the world is a separate thing. I think this is, um, as a thesis on Fat Mike's perspective uh, on life, this is quite interesting. But that's that's for another, that's for that's for qualified individuals to discuss. <laughs> people people who've uh, gone to school. Anyway, so yeah, I, I agree. But I like this scene a lot. It's one of those funny fat songs, uh, but about being blown, uh, like in West Side Story. So uh, John suggests. <laughs> PD shrugs it off. Trashley and Nosmo uh, go to Nico, the drug dealer, uh, uh, to score, and he tries it on with Trashley. She says no, so instead he decides to go and nonce off the schoolgirl, like all cool people in this. So, and I want I, I want to say this now. I want to get this in there now, right? Sure. That this is where my pro- my main problem with this, I know I've said already there's loads of problems, but this is this is an emotional problem I have with it rather than a musical problem. Sure. This is where my discomfort started <laughs> and it never got better. So up until this point, I was like, this has got something about it. It mm. isn't my style of things, but it is very much American Idiot, but Fat Mike's version with a bit of Avenue Q thrown in, good for them. So at this, up until this point... This then happens, right, where he starts to try and non-soft Ashley. 
uh, not Ashley, an ounce of Sue. Yeah. And everybody goes, no, that's bad. And I'm like, great. So we have established yeah, that yeah. noncing the 16-year-old is bad, right? Yeah. And I was like, okay, let's see where we go from here. And I, I, like, I've thought about it so much. And I think <laughs> that my whole problem starts here. In that moment where everyone's like, no, get off her, get off her, you can't have her, no, she's ours, right? Fine, good, thank you for being protective of the, very clearly, because it says it in a song, just turned 16-year-old, not nearly 17, I've just turned 16 is the lyric. Yeah, yeah. Okay? So that's, so there it is, that, so, and then everyone goes, no, not the just 16-year-old young girl, and I go, brilliant. Moving on. So I just wanted to establish that this is where it all goes. It starts going wrong. It's not gone wrong yet, but that moment is why I could never say that I like this. Fair enough. I I do understand. Yeah, I, 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 I've seen it. I know precisely what you mean. Um, so, yeah. So then we get uh, we get another song called Who Can You Trust, which is the Fatales, Trashley, Ed, PD, Nosmo, Mom, and Sue. Um, and then Sue, de- well, she doesn't know what she's uh, what she's off to do. But the Fatales <laughs> then turn up in period clothing and make a joke about rent. Uh, fine. I like the, uh, I like the, the not again, it's one of those nods that was probably in a previous draft a lot more. And they yeah. went, oh, take out some of those because... We need another flogging scene. Um, (laughs) Is my my guess. guess. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Eddie here. Red and I hope you're enjoying our show. If you have been and would like to help us make it a little more easily, then you can donate to us at our coffee page, which is ko-fi.com forward slash punk rock elite. Or you can look in the show notes for our link tree. If you can't help us financially, we totally understand, but would love it if you spread the word to other people who would like this podcast. We thank you for your continued support. We massively appreciate it. Back to the show. We should have probably spoken about a structure to it as opposed to me just saying whatever's on my mind as you say things. No, that's um, okay. Well, we can, uh, we can um, basically, I sort of, I'm going through things, sort of the scenes between songs. Right. Okay. So I sort of talk about the and then the next song, and that's my point of stopping, because I think because there's like thirty songs in this, so it sort of breaks it up into chunks. That's um, fine. I think it's great that you're like explaining what is happening between each of the songs, and then yeah, I think yeah. that's right. That's the right thing to do. Well, that's it. and and also the the script it is co-written uh, with Mike and his uh, now ex-wife. But, yeah, uh, that was baffling to me that it because I thought when when I read that Jeff Marks was involved, mm-hmm. I assumed wrongly that mm-hmm. he would be on the script side of it because that's the bit that he knows, uh, and mm-hmm. that Mike and Soma would do the the kind of music side of it because that's their bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, apparently, no. Just I mean, I'm sure conversations that he was involved in ended up influencing the script, but I don't think he sort of directly sat down and went, right, what are we going to do about this scene here? And then started typing. So it's like one of those things that's, you know, everything's collaborative. Uh, I know, I know that Mike, Fat Mike has had a bit of a rough time. with <sighs> it. He has. Yes. 
you can see it in the way that he talks about it that like there's so much in this musical that is clearly him mm-hmm. and what has happened is he's in in lots of ways like bared his soul and written down something that's like from him and is him and his life experience and write about what you know absolutely all that great stuff from the quote from Broadway world and then he's put it in front of musical theatre people who have torn it to shreds and yeah. said, not this bit, this bit's rubbish, blah, 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 blah. And I just don't know that he knew enough to fight his corner to keep hold of the concept from the original album, I think. Yes. Well, I I also think um, he he is not used to having people tell him no because he's been releasing his own music on his own record label for years um for like 30 years by the time this starts yeah and to be brought in like that and then to then say oh no we no, this is different to that you know so it's yeah. so hard like the the musical theater world is so hard it's and it's because it's that massive juxtaposition of tits teeth sparkles spangles everyone's having a wonderful time don't we all love each other la 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 ensemble ensemble let's sing a song and go home but it's brutal and I know that sounds so absurd, but it's a brutal world. It's so competitive. It's yeah. so established. It's so, um, like, there are so many rules that have to be followed. And I just, I do admire him for getting it to even where he got to. And it's so sad that what happened around COVID, because yeah. I think it would have found its audience off Broadway. I do. Yeah. I think it's its audience is avenue, somewhere between Avenue Q an American idiot, and I think it would have found its audience there. But alas. well, he he uh, he always talks about how much of an influence Rocky Horror and Hedwig and the Angry Inch yeah. has had on him. Yeah, it's very, um, it is very Rocky Horror at times in its music, but it's count- also oh, sorry, go on. I was just saying, yeah, it's it's the countercultural sort of yeah. approach. Yeah. Absolutely. I think if anything, like my. A disappointment I have with it is that if it is influenced by, I think, you know, Rocky Horror, you know, Little Shop of Horrors style of musicals, I I would like it to be a little bit more absurdist and surreal in its approach, because I I do think it's, you know, I I mean, I I know that it's it's a little bit overdramatic in places, but it does still feel grounded in realism. Yeah. And I feel like Mm. it doesn't have to be like there, there could be, you know there could be mole men beneath this city or just some another like um, angle to it. That's just a little bit um, less real and more surreal. Or the, the different forms of abuse these people have suffered have left them with superpowers. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? But you it's know. very, we will rock you in its vibe. It's very, and that's kind of one of the, I suppose, one of the styling choices is that it's all a bit clean cut for something that's punk and street and unhoused and, you know, mm. and all that kind of stuff. Like, look at the costumes. They're pristine. They've yeah. not even rolled them around in mud outside. They've not even tried. And and so it 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 doesn't, it's, mm. its look doesn't quite work with it because it's supposed to be quite realistic and set in a little bit of, well, not a little bit, set in the real world and realism. But, yeah. like, it looks like, but out of hell, the Meatloaf jukebox musical. It looks like we will rock you, the Queen jukebox musical. And in this, in lots of ways, it's a shame because it isn't a no effects jukebox musical. It is a 
it's an art, it's, it's music that's been written specifically for a musical by Fat Mike. And that's why yeah. it's a little bit sad that it will just look wise be lumped in with shows that just already look a bit like it. Hmm. No, absolutely. But that's, uh, that's all, all of this is uh, made clearer as, uh, as we go throughout. So uh, Nosmo sings, uh, sings the song that he's working on uh, while he's sat on the table. Trashley joins in. Uh, this song's called The Thrill of Defeat because it's the agony of victory or what becomes it. So oh, right, yeah. he's like working on this um, song. Nosmo uh, talks about his band fantasy. Trashley thinks that hoping for things is for posers. Um, Mom brings Sue home and uh, Ed next all of her anti-anxiety medication. Um, the the one uh, song that wasn't on the uh, album, which is Slut Hut, where they show uh, her around the squat. Um, I really like this. Uh, one where they're just showing her around because the slut hut i think they do a quite good job of making the slut hut a character in the thing like how you know the main character of star trek aren't any of it's the enterprise that's the main character and and they've not quite gone to that level of it but they have done a good job of making the slut hut its own little thing yeah there is a song like it on the um, on the concept album because the I was listening to it last night and there is a song where she says, uh, "Can you use the toilet?" and he's like, "Oh, there's a bucket in the corner." And mm. they so there is a song on the concept album like it, but maybe it's one of those songs that started as something else and has yeah. morphed a little bit into this. Um, but the concept for the song is certainly on the concept album. I quite yeah. I quite like this song i suppose this is peak musical theater in that it's you know it's a little bit I, silly it's a little bit out there the rhyming is all a little bit, <laughs> a little yes. bit daft. yeah i think it's it's one of the ones where, that feels like they're aiming for more of a musical song with a punk arrangement rather than a punk song in a musical mm-hmm. um but i uh but yeah so so yeah, so they're they're talking about oh yeah, we've got a library over here, some stolen books, and you know oh this is where we do drugs, uh, this is where we fuck, this is where we do piss, and it's like oh great, cheers, and then she decides to start. And actually, the um, my favorite line in it is, and it's more in her delivery than anything is when she goes, "Is that a tampon hanging from the ceiling?" And she she looks so scandalized and traumatized, and then you find out what she's actually been through, and you go, "Really? That's what's upset you?" Absolutely. But, but it is, but it is kind of. Apparently, she went through um, unspeakable things in a very clean house. So, I think that I think that one of the one of the problems with with it is. Um, is that it's it's constantly trying to be the most shocking. Like it can't just be yeah. like we have to think of the most grotesque and gross thing that we can to really shock our audiences. You can like imagine that conversation happening around the table, and and I find all that a bit a bit cringe when in the scene previously you've got somebody harmonizing with a man playing the guitar, and he's going, "Oh my god, those harmonies are beautiful," and she's going, "Oh my god, you're right." And then in the next song, we're then talking about used tampons hanging from the ceiling. And I don't think it can decide what it wants because it can't be both. You can't have both, you know, commentary on how beautiful this musical is and how beautiful her harmonies are. But then also it's really gross and disgusting and the tampons are hanging from the ceiling. I, and- I'm not 100% certain I agree with that. I, I think you... I think you can have something where you can say these things that that where even in the midst of great squalor, beauty can exist. 
I yeah. think that's the the okay. sort of statement. I I I understand that. I mean, so I I don't even think it's with the the tampon thing. I think with sort of the descriptions of what some of the characters have gone through, they are put there for shock value. But I would also reckon that ninety percent of those are probably things that Soma, Mike, or someone that they have spoken to has heard firsthand experience, not had firsthand, but heard from people who've had that firsthand experience and things like that. So I think including that is definitely a statement. And I think it is to, you know, freak out the straights a little bit. Yeah. Uh, And also, you know, like Red and I have had this conversation a few times over the past few episodes about (laughs) What my is what Mike is saying in these particular set of songs, this and the Koki the Clown um solo project. Are they real? Are they yours? Are they are they okay for you to discuss as someone who didn't necessarily experience them firsthand? Because Mike does a lot of character songs about that things like She's Gone, about a uh a, a, a woman he knew who um, I think she might have done away with herself, uh, even though she had a little child. And he's looking at this from the perspective of the child, the perspective of the mother, the, you know, he's, and it's not a judgmental song. It's just a sort of, this is what happened song. Yeah. And I don't know. And, you know, and, and you can debate for ages as to whether that was, he was right to write a song about that with it not being his experience or are you allowed to hear about a thing and express your feelings on it uh, you know I, I i think you are to a degree and i don't I, I think people do it in that you know those sort of tragic live books that came out in the the wake of like the child called it and yes. you know all of those kind of things it's like people were like and and there was some even some debate as to whether that was an accurate representation of the life of the author and I don't want to talk about that, you know, and the, what was it? The thousand tiny pieces or whatever yeah. that Oprah was like talking about was amazing. And it turned out that that was also partially fictionalized and stuff like this. So, you know, it, it, it's difficult to say. I don't think he ever means. No, I, I don't think he ever means it to be a, just a, a sordid look at the, make a quick bucket i think they are things that he genuinely wants to discuss and and finds compelling yeah. I, I also i i totally agree i don't think there's anything cynical about it i just think that at times i find it quite jarring that we go from something that's quite cringeworthy musical theater everybody's commenting on how beautiful the harmonies are straight yeah. into something that feels shock value but sure. That could, as, as I've said, that just could be personal taste and that it just doesn't doesn't work for me. I, I think I the thing about whether people have the right to make art about it if they haven't experienced it is a really interesting point. And it is something that plagues the theatre and musical theatre world specifically. So um, a lot of musicals, obviously, are written about things that people haven't experienced. But mm. more recently... Um, with the rise of shows like like Hamilton, where um, Lin-Manuel Miranda himself is trying to represent a more diverse casting through, um, through stories. And he is telling the story of an immigrant as somebody who sees himself as having, I don't know, I, I would never know whether he himself sees himself as an immigrant, but I know that he feels that he has shared feelings with um, somebody who is an immigrant, because that's what yeah. led him to write Hamilton. Um, I think that there 
now it is a, a turning in the musical theatre world about whether you can write things just because you think it will sell tickets and being quite cynical in that way. The big, the big contentious one of recent times is Miss Saigon. In right. that, obviously, that that show Miss Saigon is written by, um, it's not written by people from the East Asian community, and so when that show is is put up, um, I think that there is always some slight contention in the community surrounding. So it was put on here in in Sheffield. Mm. Um, and it, the production was was beautiful and they made some changes to it that I thought were really, really great and um, and took away some of the sort of the stuff that a lot of the community does find quite um, jarring. But that still doesn't, you know, it still doesn't deal with the fact that this is a show written about the experience of a, a, a Vietnamese woman, not written by a Vietnamese woman. Instead, it's written by two um, two white men. Yeah. And and that that is actually a retelling of a different story. It's a retelling of Madame Butterfly, which is an opera originally written by Puccini. So it's not it's not even like it, it's a, it's almost, I suppose, to use a horrible term, it's almost like a bastardization of the original story because it's then set in the Vietnam War. And mm-hmm. so this kind of, this chat is really relevant, not just about Fat Mike, but about musical theatre in general. Like, should we be writing about things that we have no experience of? But if that were the case, how do we end up with some of the incredible musicals that we have had and where do we draw the line? Because, you know... And and they do say clearly, I mean, like, I, I'm not sure how much I, I agree. I, I'm not sure how, how much of it is true, but like, you know, Fat Mike is very clear. Like, he does believe that these are his experiences and Soma's experiences. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like th- there should at least be like some acknowledgement that, you know, they're no longer his experiences. Sure. Um. But then, you know, like, hey, if he's come from that, isn't it, you know, who else is going to um, be able to voice this? Because other people that have come from this aren't in the fortunate position that Mike's in. So maybe Some it's... of them aren't even around anymore. Yes. So a lot of them, a lot of them never made it out of the 80s. So or the, the very early 90s before, mm. um, you know, you could be in a punk band no one had heard of, but still sell you know enough records and go on enough tours to actually make a living you know the those who made it to the 90s did pretty well out of the 90s particularly post 94 with the 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 post green day punk boom but those who didn't make it to that point or were never going to make it you know those who left in 88 or whatever you know those people don't have these stories being told so i don't know if this is like an um like a, a, memor- a memorial thing for some people as well. And Mike is super romantic about this kind of stuff, like to a fault, like really romanticizes the fuck out of all of this. In fact, a bit of that turns up um, uh, in a moment. So I'm just going to uh, crash through here. So she decides to stay and they tell her about drugs in High Achievers, which I think is really, really fun. Uh, I like this version a lot. Mm-hmm. They do the Abbey Road pose, which is their one bit of dancing. <laughs> so well done everybody and then to prove how sort of scintillating and interesting drug use is they all do opium and fall asleep in a pile um so that really proves it i don't know where uh, opium all right fine um whatever sue looks through her bag and then finds her dad's gun that she's stolen 
she out of bodies a memory of an argument from her quivering mother and clearly abusive father. Uh, Sue decides to do a load of cutting, which she somehow cuts really loudly and wakes up mom, uh, who offers to cut her safely, a bit like the film we mentioned last time, Secretary. These bits, there's loads of stuff about like this self-harm and um, and the sub-dom relationships and stuff where the dialogue is, it's like a pamphlet. It's, it's like an instructional, yeah. it's like a sort of, like there's no personality behind any of the dialogue. It is just yeah. a flat out, almost like a sort of slightly confrontational defense of the practice that they're talking about at the time. And I think these bits of dialogue are the bits that work the least well because there's just no personality. Because mom could be saying it, Trashley could be saying it, fucking special ed could be saying it. And yeah, it that's a good point. It makes no ends. That it's just basically like a big public service announcement saying that cutting is valid provided you are being safe about it and stuff like that, which I'm not entirely certain is a... A helpful thing to say. I feel Especially- like this is where a lot of the inexperience in Mike and some of script writing comes out. Um, oh. And I think that also, I don't, I, I couldn't speak to the experience of the director, um, no. but I also find the stuff around the flashback and and there was one earlier where, or is it a bit later uh, on? Yeah. Um, uh, no, Monsters happens a bit later. Uh, if it's the one that you're thinking of, which I'm guessing it is, the very... No, not the very graphic one. There's one where somebody says, give Daddy a kiss or something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, she's... it's when she first does sex work. Oh, it's when she turns oh, okay. Up... Yeah, yeah, that doesn't happen quite yet. That's um, that's a little later. But I but... think that these out-of-body moments that start now are handled appallingly. And I think that that the these moments they are bad they're badly written they're bad directorially and there are bad artistic choices being made surrounding it i think that there is nothing that can be said about about how about any any there's no artistic joy in what is being done and there shouldn't be joy in it absolutely not they are moments that are showing abuse on stage but mm. when we show abuse on stage it has to be treated a lot more sensitively than it is in these moments. And a lighting change in a flashback and a voiceover, it may have been, when we first started exploring abuse on stage, it may have been the the way that we did it. And it's very, it feels very, very old fashioned, but it kind of, it comes out of nowhere. It's quite jarring. It mm. feels cringeworthy. It's not dealt with in an artistically sensitive way. And it's not dealt with in a way that, I don't, I mean, I don't want to speak on behalf of everybody who's experienced anything like that, but when it happens, it just, it makes, it's like nauseating, but not necessarily just because it's dreadful in content and you feel sorry for it, but because it's being handled so insensitively. Um, and it I is think, a bit, it's a bit sixth form, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's so yeah. A-level drama. Yeah, and I, I've got that written in my notes. A-level <laughs> drama is written in my and, notes. And like, that's not... That's not ha- what you would expect from a professional production. And, yeah. it, and it's the first time you're like, oh, no, please don't continue to deal with everything this way. And then they deal with everything that way. And I can't get away from that. No, it's it's 
it is the the bit of this that works the least and it's a shame because when this show does work it, it does it is really entertaining and fun and uplifting and yeah. joyous and all the things that it wants to be it wants to be celebratory about people like this and about how and it's about how yeah you might have an idea of what we're like but guess what that idea is not accurate or, or the Avenue Q format and the Avenue Q vibe and the Avenue Q music will lend itself so beautifully to a celebratory show with a slight tinge of sadness surrounding circumstance, but a celebratory show of like, this is what our life is like. Please stop feeling sorry for us. We have lives. We have full lives. Um, and these are choices that we are making. Not everybody is homeless just because they are victim of circumstance. Some people are making choices. And this is highlighting those people who are a quieter voice within an already quite voiceless group. If we mm. were doing that, great. But we aren't doing that. What we're trying to do is simultaneously say our lives are brilliant. But then these moments, our lives are also tragic. And you should sympathize and empathize with us. But also don't dare feel sorry for people. So which, which, please make a decision, which is it? And that's what these moments make me feel. I get, and it, it feels like the the redrafting process has left stuff in from the previous draft. And yeah. that's where you get these tonal changes, these characters, and, and like I say, just the, the, you know, all the discussion of that kind of thing. But I mean, so anyway, after see, Seeping Beauty, um, we get uh, seemingly unconcerned by her new charges, self-harming tendencies. Mom and Trashley do a load of bondage while the others look bored because they're used to hearing uh, bondage. And we have Let's Get Hurt, which I really enjoy. I think it's a great song. It's, um, it is, it, the most jarring thing about it is the fact that it comes directly after the Seeping Beauty sequence. Yeah. If, yeah. if there was just a, a one scene removed, if they'd been out, sparing for change or like dumpster diving or something and have a bit of a shake it out and then they come back and then mom and trashley are going for it i think often what we do in musicals is we have a very emotional moment which is then very juxtaposed by comic relief scene That's so that, true. that happens an awful lot so um the saddest moment in Hamilton is then very quickly followed by everybody commenting on how sad the previous scene was and everyone has a laugh and there's light relief and you finally feel a little bit better. That happens quite a lot in musicals. The yeah. trouble with Let's Get Hurt is that it isn't comic relief. It goes from something that is intense emotionally to mm. something that is then intense in a different way. So yeah. what you've actually got is two back-to-back -back very intense numbers mm. because it's actually quite beautiful in lots of ways. Um, let's get hurt. There's a lot of stuff there about how, you know, love can be, love is shown in lots of different ways and love can be pain and that's fine. But it's a very intense message next to an already very intense message that, you know, cutting can be all right if you do it safely to it's all right to hurt you if I love you. Those two messages. I think the world can hear both of those messages. And I think that it's, you know, they're, they're good, interesting things to talk about and debate back to back they both lose power and so you lose both the messages of both those songs and yeah. so people become disengaged the the, com the conflation of the two is yeah you're right it dulls both the points they're both sort of i don't what so yeah you're right you're absolutely right um like i say sort of it's basically what they've done is they have condensed down the film secretary <laughs> to to about a minute and a half 
And 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 a film or a, a subject like that requires a lot more nuance than a minute and a half is going to provide you. So again, I think the I think they tried to fit too much into this. That's the main problem. They've tried to fit in so many things because they could have just done if they'd just done the stuff about the streets stuff without fit, trying to fit in a load of like Les Dom stuff as well, but Mike wouldn't have it any other way. Um, then I think you could have done those topics a lot more of a service than trying to fit it all in, plus the story, plus whatever funny bit Ed is going to do in a bit, plus Nosmos. So each of them has a storyline, and none of them are as satisfying as they could be because they all have to give up a little bit of time for each other's correct things. And I think that is it's the same thing. Um, I don't know why I was reminded of the film Rogue One, which, <laughs> which I love brilliantly. But there was one too many members of crew, and I can't decide which one I didn't want because I yeah. really did like them all. But you just don't quite get as big a bite of the apple as would actually make a substantial yeah. mouthful, even though I think the film and Rogue One, I think, is wonderful. But there was just that one person too many, and they were all that good that I can't decide which one I don't want. Well, I don't think you, you don't need Ed. Ed is special. Ed, Ed, Ed yeah. feels like he's kind of there for like because they wrote the the fetal alcohol syndrome song at the start of the show. Yeah, and then you it's get not even the, in the show. So, oh, is it not even in the show? Not in the I show. Thought, I thought it was mentioned. No, no, no um, they do mention that. They mention. Uh, because his mother drank when he was in the womb. Oh, right, right at the beginning at Home Street Home, we we learn everything about Ed's. We learn everything about Ed. Yeah, Ed, he, Ed. He, he's kind of just there for like. There's the there's that turning point where he appears to be like a rock towards Nosmo. Yeah, and yeah. I feel absolutely. like his whole character is in the whole show, so they have that one moment for Nosmo at the end. But you, you could have given that moment to someone else. It could have been. You, Trashley, I mean, to be yeah. honest, given the way the story goes, Trashley would have been yeah, the one absolutely. to do it and just go, she's like, like, oh, I'm completely fucked up. She go, I sold out. You, you were on, you were just on heroin. I was on heroin and sold out our whole family to the cops. Yeah. Uh, you know, she, she could have said that. It's like, you're hardly useless compared to that. And that could have survived, you know. Yeah, I, so where I thought his character was going to go is because there is an old time sort of like, you know, I suppose, writing rule, but specifically musical theatre, that if somebody sells someone out or somebody does something to defy the group or somebody, you know, like is the, becomes a momentary antagonist and helps out the bad side, they die. So what I thought was going to happen with Ed was because it's been put to us that he has developmental issues, mm-hmm. that phrase wet brain is horrendous, but anyway, um, and they talk about like the fact that he's a little bit slower than everybody else. I my assumption was going to be that it would be him that sold them out accidentally, and then he would become the tragic character and die, and that would be the purpose that he serves to the plot. He is a tragic character who gets once yeah. over by the cop, and then he accidentally reveals the um, you know he accidentally reveals the location of the slut hut, and then for whatever reason ends up dying, but everybody forgives him in death because. Poor Ed, yeah, he yeah. didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, That's yeah. kind of the narrative arc that one would assume looking at the group. 
But again, it's just an extra body on stage. And I feel like no character has a satisfying resolution yeah. other than yeah. other than Big John. <laughs> yeah. Thank, oh, thank I, I think the policeman dying is pretty good. He doesn't I don't die. think he dies. They call an ambulance. Oh, what? Yeah, yeah, they call no, an ambulance. doesn't die. They all go, and then she's like... Oh, they just shoot him in the leg, doesn't, don't they? Yeah, they don't even here. shoot yeah, yeah. Oh, Hello, 999? Yeah. And then they kick him. Oh, yeah. We'll, yeah. Get, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. Um, eventually, guys. Thank you for hanging on, uh, listeners. Um, <laughs> but, but this, this is the longest product this is the longest media thing we've done so far so don't don't, don't worry we're uh, we're getting we're getting close to the interval um but yeah so we have let's get her trashley and mom offer a very simple explanation of the subdom relationship in some of the more functional dialogue i've written very charitably um i like doing things for mom it makes me feel good yes i own her but that also means i take care of her okay great um wow sounds hot um, you know, really, really makes you think, oh, I should try that. So anyway, uh, the crust punk makeover uh, starts off like it's going to be a really fun thing. And I was expecting, the first time I watched this, I was expecting like this is where all of the band names of Mike's friends were going to get dropped in. Like, uh, let's give her a lag wagon shirt. Oh, let's try that. You know, they were, I thought it was going to be like, name check a go-go fun because there's like um there's like a bad religion logo painted yes, on the spot heart yeah, there's yeah. dropkick murphy's uh initials there's a few things like that um you know i thought it was going to be a bit more like that no it starts off fun and then trashley's like uh-huh, someone cuts themselves nah, nah. Um, which is just wildly out of character Oh, yeah. it's not really because she's a bitch, but um, she's still like no. I, but she's scathing. She's not schoolyard. She's no, no, she's not. But I, think, I don't know. I think, I think she's still popular, rich girl to her core. But yeah. she's trying. But and and every so often that popular rich girl thing pops up, especially when she's trying to like put mom off the idea of Sue because she sees Sue as a threat immediately because apparently mom likes them underage and guess what she does which is something else i find very difficult to reconcile this is this is where the whole thing falls apart because we will get we'll get there but before we get there we are treated to the funniest bit in the musical in my opinion sure which is when they give sue a punk makeover and to make her look more punk they take off her tartan miniskirt Yes, exactly. And I'm just like, guys, she's I mean, already got a, a one item of the key outfit. Yeah, exactly. Already on. Just also, put a- please change your shoes, please, for the love of God. It is those shoes are awful. How the, mean? The, the ballet pumps, yeah. Um, Horrid, shiny ballet pumps. She does. She does get boots in the second half, but this is this is a this is a a. a a five minute makeover they're doing with what they can but you're right um yeah that was uh but the fatals do a big change into a ball gown the fatals stage yeah the the fatals aren't real or they are real it doesn't matter they are are the otherworldly bits i suppose so there is a bit of magical realism in that i suppose yeah um so uh mom tells trashley off um and then everyone has a big trauma bond 
which is uh, just the best way to to start a, a friendship. And then everyone goes, oh, um, by the way, uh, don't be upset about it. And Sue goes, oh, yeah, forgot about that. Um, uh, Sue likes her new outfit, which I've written is made from leftover unwashed gussets and a hat. <laughs> That's what Sue puts on. Um, everyone goes out for dinner. Uh, and then mom sings the song Mama Natrix uh, about how she'd like to uh, live anywhere but there. But her kids, ca- she basically sits down with a cup of tea and a fag goes, do you know what them kids are driving me? Fucking loopy. I don't even mind saying it. Oh, honestly, one afternoon we out them. I'm having to flog Trashley. I'm having to clean up after Ed. Nosmo is getting on my tits with that fucking guitar. Right. And- <laughs> So that in a song, which I like. And then all of a sudden she sees a drawing and goes, well, I said, now I'm in love with Sue. I can't fucking do anything else now. This And it's totally normal and overage. So well done. Just the most. So it took Red a while to catch up with what had happened here. So I was like, I really don't want them to do that. And Red was like, do what? And I was like, well, let's just see, because I don't want to ruin everything. But I really don't want them to do that. And then we watched it for a bit. And then I was like, I think they are doing it. I think they're saying that mum is in love with Sue. And Red went, no, no, she's just protective over her. And then (laughs) three seconds later, full snogging. And I was like, oh, no. So it really picks up a rate here. There's no... We don't see a build-up to a relationship. No. I think that when Sue is drawing mom, I don't see that as romantic in that moment, while, the way it's portrayed on stage. I no, think no. it's more a sort of like this woman, like she, she she's an artist, supposedly, so she acknowledges the beauty of sort of like of this woman juxtaposed with the world around her is how I saw that moment while she's drawing. And I thought that's she's amazed. A thing. She's amazed that the first adult woman who has stepped in to protect her from an abusive man when she what she does with nico um earlier when when sue first turns up so you know you sort of she sort of like is like an idolizing the sort of a parental thing and to sort of immediately turn that into um can i have a go at being whipped thanks is just sort of it it had had sue been um, a different age, yeah. and and had there been yes, just any longer than about forty five minutes since they met, yes, then I could see that storyline developing in a much more appropriate and a, a lot less. It seems predatory, even though, even though I don't feel it is because Mom doesn't appear to be a predatory character, but I, but the behaviour is that is predatory and that is a, a, a problem exactly. it the- is predatory that like i've been through this so many times now this is the thing that has like kept me awake about this one thing that i i really really do cannot cannot get my head around in this musical we are told bdsm is great and fine we are told um everything here is safe loving and consensual we are told everybody is absolutely on board with it and nobody is doing anything that they don't want to be doing. And therefore, you know, everybody should just be on board with it. Nobody here is going to take anything away from you. You are completely in control. Then on the other side, this poor girl who has got nowhere else to turn is adopted by this woman. So she's adopted by her, brought into a gang. 
at that point, think about it. You've just turned 16. You've been taken under the wing of some woman who promises that she will look after you. What, what could any young girl do but everything that that woman says? And so at this point, the power dynamic is not power play. There is no play in a power dynamic here. It's not, oh, let's pretend you've got all the power and I've got none of the power. At this point, mum has all of the power and Sue has none. And therefore, that is not a BDSM relationship. That is a toxic controlling relationship. There is no joining in on that. You are not choosing to give that woman the power in order for it to be sexual and playful. Your power has been taken away from you because she is the woman who is in charge of that group and your future within that group. Now, that's very extreme, given that it is just a musical. But I think that what we have to do is, is, is if you are going to bash me around the head with how brilliant um, BDSM relationships are and dominant relationships are and lesbian relationships are, and we've saved you from this controlling man who wanted to take advantage of you because you are young yeah. and on the streets. I saved you from that. So now I'm going to do it instead. And it just makes no it makes no I, sense to me, especially I, because on yep. the concept album there is a there is a song called Safe Words, and we do talk about safe words. But then in this moment, we're saying safe words are for amateurs, and it doesn't matter, and all this kind of stuff. And I just I cannot get my head around how this is somehow a public service announcement that BDSM is great, but also we are seeing one of the most toxic versions of a BDSM relationship on stage that I've seen in a dead long time. It- the the removal of safe words was probably done for time but mm. the problem is is that because they kept that line where trashley's like safe words yeah. for amateurs but that's because trashley's too cool for school trashley defo has a safe word but she's being bravado about it but the problem is is that there isn't anything to point out very clearly that trashley is trying to make out that she is the you know the bdsm yeah. queen so you can read it if you're following along the characters, you know, well enough, and there's a lot of them to be getting on with. If you're following that along, you can say, oh, well, that is a trashly thing to say. We are not to be taking that literally. It doesn't matter because someone else might watch this and go, fucking love Trashley. She's so cool. You know, I'd yeah. like, I'd, it, it is, it is a bad message, but it isn't pointed out that that is the stupid way around. And you know, like mom would have said something because if mom is so big on this BDSM thing being what it is, she would have said, um, she would have said something to the effect of either, then how come I know what yours is? Or, yeah. well, yeah. don't you, if it is, then don't use yours so much. Or something, you know, something to say that she's fronting rather than, Yes. This is the yeah, perspective of that's, the, that's, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, it's, I, I think there is in here a really great version of what this is. I agree. Somewhere yeah. in there is yeah. a brilliant representation of a BDSM relationship on stage that is challenging, that is funny, that is mm. sweet, that is yeah. love-based. It's all there. All the components are there. There's nothing There's nothing wrong with what is trying to be achieved. I, I completely am on board with it. And I think a musical is actually a hilarious and brilliant setting for a BDSM relationship. We see it a yeah. little bit in... Rocky Horror Picture Show, maybe not as overt as a BDSM relationship, but yeah. we definitely see like queerness around relationships and alternative relationships. And 
and that being represented in Rocky Horror. You know, there's there's a little bit of it in Avenue Q. Again, mm. you know, musicals are not, it's not shocking to see BDSM and sex in relationships. It just yeah. isn't. There's nothing anymore that a musical theatre audience would be like, oh, that's too shocking for a musical. No, Thanks no, no. to things like Jerry Springer, the opera. So for the love of God, go for it. But do yeah. it. Do, but do it with some element of responsibility. Because I think, again, where we're at with this musical is that um, what is wanting to be said by Fat Mike has superseded what is the responsible thing to be said on stage in front of a, in front of an audience that mm. may have young, young women in it and young men and young people in it that, um, that will take these characters at face value because that's what musical theatre kids do. We... Yeah. Musical theatre kids love things inside out and back to front. That's what that's yeah. what we do. We grab hold of something and we own it. And if that was the case with this, I think that's dangerous. Yeah, like yeah, theatre kids imprint on stuff like a duckling. We're it's a nightmare. Like, just straight straight away, it's like right. This is my. I mean, I'm I'm old enough to remember the early nineties. I know that there was a particular type of girl who they all had a lame as jumper with uh, with cassette. There you go with cassette on it with Here the broom. Yeah, she is, <laughs> and um, and you know that's uh, that's it. You know that's that's the thing. Yeah, they were all far too old to be playing cassettes, but they were still <laughs> exactly. You think I didn't know everywhere to castle on a cloud? Grow up. Yeah, so really. like we, we when we love something, we grab it, we grab hold of it, and and we love it. We love it wrong. But ironically, that is what is happening here. They are being lo- the characters are being loved wrong, and yeah. I want—I just want twenty percent more thought into it. I want a streamline of that because the message that mm. is there is right and beautiful. That love comes in loads of different ways, and you shouldn't judge people from the outside. And just because you think it looks odd doesn't mean that it isn't love. Fine, I'm with that. 100%. What I'm not with is you saying she's nearly six, she's only just turned 16, don't kiss her because I'm going to take her home and flog her. That's how it feels. It, and it's not, it doesn't, it, that bit just doesn't work. It needs more responsibility to it. And I'm certain that was not the intention that Mike or Soma or Jeff or anyone involved I in this. I know had. it isn't. I know but, it isn't. Like they are responsible people. They believe in the, in the power of alternative relationships that like they are advocates for safe bdsm relationships they like you can see it in everything that they do like there's so much talk about it and the little that i know of no effects this is not a judgment on fat mike or on so they are good people with good values and i believe that they know about safe bdsm relationships my my trouble is it has not translated to stage and that happens so often people yeah. have the bestest and goodest intentions and it just doesn't translate to stage not for any other reason than to be honest and this is what this feels a little bit like too many cooks too many people saying well that won't work you have to do it like this this is how it mm. would work blah 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 and so the original message is diluted down um and and where we're where we've arrived at is that something has just been cut too many times and the message is too simple yeah and so but i would love a musical that debated the nuance of bdsm relationship i think that that would be so fascinating and so beautiful and so funny and so characterful and actually don't put this in home street home give me a musical about mum. give me her backstory where did she start she says something about having 
parents who believed in 70s values. Show me her. Show me that woman. Show me yeah. how she got into professional dominatrix. She and show me everything. She was at a convent school or something, and she turned around and flogged the priest. That was yeah. the that was the sort of thing. I, yes, you're absolutely right, though. Poser is a stand-up show by Eddie French. That's me. All about punk rock, gender, nerddom, and all other things where one is told that they are a poser. If you'd like to come and see it, I'm going to be at Leicester Comedy Festival on Saturday the 24th of February. Grey's at LBC Depot, the Courtyard Room, at 6.20pm. That show is free, but you can get tickets online to avoid disappointment. You can come and see me at Glasgow International Comedy Festival on Sunday the 24th of March at 3.30pm at Van Winkle in the West End. That show is £5 a ticket. And you can also come and see me at Brighton Fringe on Saturday the 18th of May, 3.30pm, Laughing Horse at the Temple Bar, and that show is also free. Really, really hope to see you there. Thank you. get the other mum now um uh we get missing child uh sung by sue's mother who never gets a name uh mrs walker i'm guessing because officer walker her husband and the fatals uh sue's mum is handing out flyers like someone doing their first edinburgh fringe is what i've written <laughs> she's working hard she's uh she's trying it um and then uh no one that doesn't help but we seed seed that for later uh the sluts all have dinner out of a dubster sue through a mouthful of stale reuben says um isn't doing prostitution weird and they all go ah, well actually and then there's a lot of horse blaming <laughs> um pd trashley and mom sing gutter tarts which is a great song um and uh about uh about uh, pro sex work stuff. Uh, it's pretty much the same as the um, as the rec- uh, record version. Um, Nosmo goes to his job, which is busking on a Tim Armstrong signature Fender Hellcat, the same used by comedian Jenny Hart. Uh, Trashley gets so, uh, but he does point out that he stole it from outside a rancid show uh, in the song, and also he's playing it left-handed, so presumably yeah, I, I noticed supposed- that. It's canonically Tim Armstrong's guitar, so um, that's nice. Uh, he's he's kind of him... dressed like Tim Armstrong as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, he's, uh, we don't have the guy, it was Special Ed character who was on the album was singing a bit like Tim Armstrong. That's yes. All theatre voices here. Uh, Trashley gives him $30 for drugs. Nico uh, says to stop going after Trashley because she doesn't like blokes. Nico then gives him some smack and he's instantly addicted. <laughs> that was that, like for something that is representing drug use on stage. And I, I'm all for a little bit of like artistic license when it comes to this sort of stuff, especially in a musical, because you've got to do it in a song and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And like time passes differently there. However, for him to literally do it and then be like, and now I'm addicted. I, I've never done, I've never done it, so I wouldn't know. Oh, I think no. it's maybe more than once that gets you addicted. When I was a child, I don't, I have a very vague memory of this, but I know it happened. At some point in some capacity, I saw fame on stage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And great show. There's a bit where one of those characters does some drugs Mm. and it is treated 
exactly like drugs are treated in this. So like yeah. a drugs reference in the musical Fame is treated the same as a drugs reference in Fat Mike's musical Home Street Home. I, I do think there's an issue there. Like yeah. It, I don't know. It feels like just say no. It feels like Grange Hill. I laugh and laugh about the way that they say, um, yeah, we're just going to go and get some drugs. Like that that <laughs> phrase of like, I just yeah. don't think that's how people talk. I know that that's not people talk, yeah. but it's just like, yeah, no, while you're out, could you get me some drugs? Like there's just such an Funnily odd enough, way that they say it. Yeah. Sometimes I at home, We'll say it like that, but in an ironic. Yes, absolutely. Like, you know, like, I'm just going to go and get some drugs because you know I, I I am going to go and pick up, but like yeah, no, that's that, that's how you we... can't say it earnestly. You have to take the piss. Like, but it's yeah. so earnest, like yeah, no. The thing is, is that we all do drugs, and it's yeah. just like I don't know. There's just this the way that they say it is like it's it's exactly what we've already said. Unfortunately, I, it's um, a level oh. drama. It is. It is absolute, absolute. It's GCSE, mate. It's. Um, it's <laughs> uh, but the the thing is, Mike's the way Mike. That is the way Mike talks about drugs, because he started doing them in his thirties when all his mates have been doing them since they were like nine. Yeah. And and he's he's such a late to the party guy that he's like, oh hey guys, uh, we're all doing some of those drugs. I'm like, yeah, calm down, fucking. <laughs> fed whatever you know this sort of, what's going on narc i know he loves, it is narc behavior it's such big narc. let's uh, go do some drugs uh, greetings fellow drug users <laughs> um <laughs> it's and it and it does translate as well and um and i don't know if you know all of these but the thing is i don't know there might be a muscle memory from all of these they'll have all done community theater or something at some point and they'll have all done a poorly written so true drug yeah, parable yeah. so i don't know if they just automatically go into that mode it's just so great uh, it's yeah. just it's one of the it's one of the funniest parts it's one of the unintentionally funny parts of it is whenever they talk about drugs. and it's because the drug song yeah. higher achievers is um is actually really well done and really funny yeah. and Again, yeah, it makes me there's, there's there's something wrong with the characterization because I'm a bit like you're very very educated given that you're saying that you've been on the streets for you know there's a lot of big knowledge in that song, um, but yeah. I suppose that that's the suspension of disbelief, Lark. That we well, constantly well, that's, all, that's also part of the thing of uh, oh no, people on the streets know why they're there. They've chosen to be there. Yeah, and, and it's and it's like okay, yeah, that is true for some people. Yes. But I, I'm not convinced it is for all of them. And they also point out they've got a library, they've got like books, which oh, will... yeah, that's actually fair. And, because... and, and they, yeah. they do point out they have literature on stuff. They they do they are not willfully ignorant people. No. They are they are curious and independently thinking people, and that's the that's the the whole point of it. But you're you're right it it comes across as as this sort of preaching this ah but look at these the lowly humble fools who are knowledgeable and wise much more than you with your two car garages yes uh, it's, it's just like they've done a specific course about specifically 
all of the people who have ever done drugs in the world and what yeah. the outcome of that has been. And it's just very specific knowledge. I'm not saying that homeless people aren't intelligent. I absolutely yeah, yeah. do not believe that. I think that there are educated people on the streets. I think there are not educated people on the streets. I think there's, that's the thing. It's a, it's a microcosm, isn't it? It's a smaller society because people are homeless for a lot of different reasons. I just think the amount of very specific knowledge they have about people who use drugs is, is funny. I think it's just like... That's all they listen to. There's something to be said about, and I'm not sure, like, it might be something that I've missed in the show and in the characterization, but, like, I think they do need to at least suggest that one or two of these characters have been to college because it has been written by Fat Mike, who did go to college very yeah, famously, yeah. talks a lot about how much his education at college gave him in terms of, like, business sense. And, and he did a minor in uh, human sexuality as well, which is yeah, where yeah, a lot yeah. of, uh, that kind of stuff goes as but, well. But I think it's very clear that Fat Mike went through higher education. Yeah. And I think that the writing in this suggests that some of these characters have too. Um, I think that's the trouble. It suggests all of them have. Yeah. And but, but that is that doesn't quite work with what we know from some songs. I agree, yeah. Because some of them are like, oh, I, ju- I ran away from home yeah, just after absolutely. my 13th birthday. One so, of them oh, so you're, Yeah, exactly. You're not college educated. Soon, not college educated. I would go that Ashley is. I don't I, think I, Nosmo I, is. I think Trashley, the whole point isn't... I think one of the problems with the show is, like, the actors are playing younger than they actually are. Because I think Trashley's yeah. meant to be, what, 18 at the oldest? Probably, yeah, because she, so, she, so was, she, at, like, she was at a private school. She was, like, one of the most successful businessmen in the city, was very much the upper crust. And then she, pardon me, then she sort of disgraced herself and the family. They got annoyed, so she ran away and decided, no, I'm going to live here on the street now. Um, she had a strop. It's basically what happened. Yeah. Um, but fine, that happens. Um, that absolutely. Is, yeah, absolutely. Not, but but that is that is uh, all of that. Um, yeah, PD left home at 13. He got given a bus ticket and told to fuck off because yeah. he was gay. So he was a 13-year-old um, going around doing all this stuff. We don't know how old mom is. She's probably early 20s maybe or mid-20s. I don't know. But um but again, we don't know because she could be the same age as the actress or the actress could be playing 10 years younger than herself. It's just, yeah, it's just hard we don't to know. say. Um, but yeah, so but that's that's part of the, the problem. So we this is where we get three string guitar and then two string guitar, um, which are sort of the, which two string guitar is just when he's, that little song he does just after yeah. he's uh, done the bump. Ah, um, oh, this is nice. We get PD and Big John uh, chat and then Big John... Uh, us off a pace to hear PD's story, and we get uh, three against me, which, which is I, you know, like I mean, because because we've we've reviewed this song in particular quite a few times now because it's appeared, it appeared on like a single or double album, yeah, and then it appeared on the Home Street Home soundtrack, and now it appears here in the show, yeah. And despite us having heard it three times now in three different iterations, I didn't particularly enjoy it the first time round. <laughs> Sure, sure. It's um, not a song that one enjoys. It's pretty unpleasant. Yeah, but... It's a very good musical theatre song. It tells a story, moves it along, does everything that you need You need a musical theatre song to do. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't it doesn't necessarily it. push plot, but <laughs> nope. it does give you a lot of context for a character. Yep. Um, I think there's some really interesting imagery in there, specifically the stuff about 
um, learning to breathe through the wrong end of a sleeping bag. I think that's really strong imagery that mm. makes sense in a musical theatre setting. Um, I think it it has a really sad and tragic narrative, but one that's very understandable, especially when it gets to the stuff about the, obi- the dad's obituary and that yeah. essentially they have erased him from their history. That obituary portion is different to the record version. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, it's one of those that, that and and they've I think they've actually improved it as a as a a narrative slash background song by including that bit of well and now dad's dead and even then he didn't that, that there is no regret on the part mm-hmm. of the family so it's sort of and that's actually contrasted by the fact that later on we find out that Sue's mum again we'll get to that but so, so Sue's mum does regret what happened yeah um and we've got reason to believe that she was very very frightened of her own husband and uh, very abusive but you know but that's all subtext rather than text but with this one pd has got you know a really wretched um possibly the possibly the most dramatic backstory and i but then this is where i then go so not a choice was kicked out of his house with nowhere to go and now lives on the street, chooses to celebrate it, but isn't a choice he's making. And this is where, when you start learning people's backstories, where I cannot get my head around why we think it's an absolutely brilliant thing to be on the street. The... To be set, for him to like, then be like, and I have made the best of my situation. These are my found family. And now I have a better life here than I did when I lived at home. That I'm all for, but I can't, but it was not a choice for him to end up on the street. He is just making the best of what sounds to be a horrific situation. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's, it, it's a bag of inconsistencies, this, and it's a uh, really, um, yeah, it's it's a tough listen. It, it and but it's also when you actually analyze it, all the bits individually, you kind of go okay for the most part. And then yeah, it's when they get put together, you start. It starts feeling like it was written much more by committee than it actually was. But again, yeah. it's that drafts thing. The drafts are different. The drafts are different, and um, and I think that there's a great deal of cope going on, as you'd expect. I'm yes. not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm not obsessed with that. Yeah, yeah. But um but basically he's like going, Oh yeah, we choose to live this way. But I think in fact it could be read that him revealing that he didn't really choose that is actually the most vulnerable he's being. Yeah. And the fact that it's with John rather than Nosmo or Mom or maybe Mom does know, we don't know. But the fact that the only person he's willing to talk about that with is John for money, but he's using that a a generous reading. Uh, a generous interpretation could be that you know he is treat already treating john like a boyfriend on but on his own very um cagey terms and if you read it like that i think the whole thing becomes a lot more palatable and so that's how i choose to read it giving the benefit of the doubt because i think there's enough plot and character evidence there for that to be a reading no i can hear that i think that that's a really a really interesting reading of it and i think uh again maybe a direction issue but i think with a little bit more thought into it and a little bit more just attention to how we're treating those scenes and the way that we're holding them again 
I think you would get there with it. I think the sudden switch to, oh, no, I do love him, actually makes a whole lot more sense. Um, so I, I hear that. I think that that's a really, really interesting and, yeah, insightful I, reading of that scene. I, I do resent doing the work myself. <laughs> <laughs> Never but, go into theatre then, Eddie. Never no, do no, it. <laughs> no, no, no I, no, I do understand. No, I, the audience should do some work because having it presented to you flat is is dull, but... Um, you know, working that's a lot of digging, though, in it. That's a lot of kind of you know, we can meet in the middle, yeah, yeah. So, um, oh, we're nearly at the interval. Uh, oh my gosh, so Sue uh, decides that she wants to contribute to the household. Um, she has been a member of the household for 90 minutes at this point. Um, I'm being vague, but uh, yeah, so she decides to try tricking under the supervision of Trashley. The John triggers a memory of her life at home where her father would abuse her nightly. And again, we've got the um, the lighting change, all of that kind of thing. And because he says something about being a good little girl, that's what her dad used to say. And then we get the song Monsters. Which, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Monsters is the first one on the concept album. Um, and I suppose Monsters, they probably put it on the concept album because this is what initiates sue running away yes which ignites the entire plot yes so i understand if you're just on a record putting this at the front does make some sense so yeah but so this is where we find out most of this song is performed while sue is being abused oh gosh which is and it's a long time and it's the same tough this is rough it is. And I don't think that theatre shouldn't be challenging or stark or nope. things laid bare with that kind of thing. I've seen I've seen plays covering similar topics that have dealt with it in a similar way. But I think because it is Baby's First Lighting Change approach, <sighs> it makes it harder to watch because it's not being done as deftly as it could be. Although I will say that the performers are doing precisely what they've been asked to do. And you know what? Like, God, you know, God love them and bless them and hold them because they, that is a really rough thing to do in so many different ways. And uh, I think it goes on for far too long. I understand what they're trying to do. And I think that there is merit in in in-your-face theatre. I think there is merit in shock value. I think there is merit in putting something on stage and not letting people not look look away. I think there is is something noble about trying to represent it on stage. I think it is an important thing that has to be spoken about. And I think if we just keep doing it behind closed doors and with metaphor and representation and all that kind of stuff, the whole thing becomes... um, easier to separate ourselves from and therefore we don't deal with the issue so i'm gonna say that all up front like this isn't me saying that we should shy away from shocking topics in uh musical theater absolutely yeah the way that it is handled i think will do the opposite to an audience Mm. i think there is a moment where it it starts shocking and you have your moment where you're like that's brave it's shocking it's not how i would do it I can see that people would believe that is distasteful. Mm. Fine. It then rolls into absurd for how long it goes on for. Yeah. It comes back round into 
quite horrific. And then eventually I just lose interest in it because it doesn't change. It just mm. keeps awful phrase that I was, I'm going to, but it keeps plowing away at the same thing. Yeah. It never, we don't see anything different. And I know that the point of it is what they're trying to say is she can't get away from it. And neither could you, neither should you. Yeah, yeah. Like she cannot escape what happens. What this has is, happened. You're, you're watching this. Once. You're watching this in real time. <laughs> This is happening nightly, and you're watching it once. That's the, again, it, it yeah, uh, and yeah. that's not a, that's not a, a an unreasonable approach to take for handling something like this. Are you uncomfortable? Yes, good, you should be. That's what's oh. happening there, right? But it gets to a point where there is a misjudgment of then pushing me so far that I'm no longer interested and I can't engage with it. There is a very, there is a moment where it has gone on for so long mm. that you're like, that's horrendous. And I can't do anything but sympathize with this girl. And then it should stop. We've got the point. But unfortunately it then goes on for a, another few seconds. Well, and the, far too long after that. And so at that point I'm like, I can't engage with this anymore because it stopped being what it is supposed to be, which is to highlight the severity of how terrible her life was, which has made her run away. Yeah. But now all I'm looking at is, how is he managing to do that and not get in rhythm with this song? That's very, it's very adept of him as a performer to not start rushing to the rhythm. And I shouldn't be thinking that. I should no. be thinking, oh my God, this is awful. But I start looking at the way that the scene is put together because all I can do is look away from it because I, I don't want to keep watching it. Yeah. There's, no, there's nothing else to get from it. You've not changed it. You've not. You're not showing me anything different. You're not. You're not highlighting some of the worst parts. All you're doing is showing me the same thing over and over and over again. And I suppose that that is what the dance captain has been doing. If you think about it in that way, that is mm. a set movement piece that will need. You know, it will need everybody checking in and making sure that everybody's okay and kind of. You know making sure the performers are all right and they're all comfortable with it. So I suppose that when we were asking at the beginning, what is the dance captain doing? I suppose that would be classed as choreography or a movement piece rather than necessarily acting because it isn't yeah. acting. It's very, it's, I mean, it is, but in a different way. Yeah, yeah, but sure. I, I'm trying really hard to separate out how I feel about it emotionally from how I feel about it artistically to what I would do as a director to what I have seen in the past. And I think on every single front, it kind of, it doesn't, make the mark it doesn't hit the mark for me on any front no it's um i know that um i watched this with emma and uh, my girlfriend and emma said uh, all the bits that made her uncomfortable were the bits that you've raised it was um there's another bit in a uh, in a in in the second uh, half as well but there's stuff like sort of how quickly mom turns to like being in love with her and all these things and it's just the thing of it of the timing as well and like this is and again this is she's been knocking around with him for a couple of hours by this point and she's like oh sure i'll turn but then maybe that's she's so infatuated with mom and what mom said and mom's been the first person to like be anything like be kind or protective so she's like you know she's flipped immediately that's plausible i guess but a couple of hours i don't know i mean it does ha it does happen in musicals doesn't it people like yeah. and disney films people do fall in love very very quickly and and all of that and 
and, you even know, in the most realistic musicals time is elastic um, absolutely so it's, it's that, to do with the values of it that are jarring yeah. it's it's yeah, yeah. yeah. so we're, yeah, yeah. We're, so, oh, we're so close to the to the to the interval here so i, I can oh, i'm waiting for a magnum so um <laughs> <laughs> it's the kind of ice cream for those listening across the pond. It's, uh, it's like a chalk ice on a stick. Uh, delicious. So uh, mom, uh, Sue runs off um, and mom talks her down from a sort of flustered hiding state. And she says, look, you don't have to do anything you don't want to. She's, she's, she's asking the right question. She's saying, did Trashley make you do it? Okay, fine. She didn't do that. Okay, well, you know, you never have to. You, you don't have to trick if you don't want to. We'll find ways for you to contribute, but only doing what you're doing. And she says, but do you want to stay? Sue says she does want to stay. And she's given her street name, Suicide. And they sing, I'm Suicide. And I mean, taking on its own, I I really like this. <laughs> and it, I know it's, I, it's my, I think, isn't it your favorite song? It was album? one it's of my, my favorites from favorite. the record. Um, yeah. Certainly before I knew the context of it. Um, Stacey D sings it on the album. It's really, really good. Um, I, I like it because it tugs on precisely all of the broken, incorrect, romantic elements that I have about found family and all of, all of the things, all of the things I share in common with Fat Mike about what is romantic about these things. I happen to share. I'm well aware of how that isn't accurate. But it it's it's hardwired. I can't shift it. It's exactly the same way. I don't know if you're familiar with the Life is Strange video games. You know, my yeah. I, I've worked out that my gender technically is teenage punk lesbian written by middle aged men. <laughs> but because that's, I've realised that that's exactly it. I'm like fuck. Yeah, I want to be Chloe from fucking. Um, um, Life is strange. Uh, is she real? Of course not. No one's ever been like her. That would be impossible. That's an insane thing to think. But that's still the, uh, you know, that's what I thought it would have been like to have been uh, a teenage lesbian who was well into punk. Um, even when I knew some of them and knew that they were <laughs> like, no, but but these guys, 25 years later, got it right, though. They're the one. I am well aware that it's absolutely off the mark. Um, but... I think the music's really great. I love them all joining in. I I think as a musical sequence, it's pressing all the right buttons at the right time and making a big pre-interval, not a showstopper, but you know. No, yeah, show. I'd go with that. I think I wish it was a quadlibet. I wish we were hearing everybody's leap motifs coming together. I wish that there was a little bit more musicality or musical theaterness in it. Um, yep. But in terms of a big banger that's going to end your act one and get people excited to come back for act two, I suppose it absolutely does that. I think it's one of the songs where the blend between musical theater music and punk music is a little bit like that kind of blend is there. And I feel yeah. that I'm watching a punk rock musical in this number um yeah no i think it's a very a very much a success yes on that, on that front absolutely um uh whether you, whether you dig the song or not obviously i know you're not you're not as big a fan of this are you right because every time we do one of these i always go well now this one and red goes yeah piece of shit couldn't stand it <laughs> fuck you if you liked it i hear anyway you might not say that no it's you know i i think it's um I don't like the the try hard elements of the musical, and I think this song 
represents that for me, but I could totally understand why. Sure, you, but you, you but as a it. as a tryhard, I I absolutely recognise that and go, oh, thank you. So, it's, <laughs> so that's the that's the difficulty is that uh, I I I can see myself in many aspects of this. Um, not not in the in the the street kid thing, but you know, in a lot of these aspects, not, some of them just entirely musical, uh, and so that's why it works for me. I am absolutely happy with other opinions on this because I understand <laughs> that mine is coming from the place of a broken, broken person. So. I think if you would, because because we watched an interview with Fat Mike where somebody was like, "Oh, it's a punk rock musical," and he was like, "It's not a punk rock musical." it's a real musical with about five punk rock songs in it. And I think that this is one of those songs that he would probably class as one yeah. of the five or six punk rock songs. So it yeah. doesn't, it doesn't shock me that this is one that you, that you like, because it's, I, I, I personally feel like it's doing the best blending of musical theater and punk in this. No, I think there's one better than this, but I think it's, it's pretty decent. Yeah. No, I think when uh, you when you told me what it was, I thought all the songs would sound like this one. Yeah, um, I'm kind of glad they don't, because I think having the variety and having songs like Seeking Beauty or Let's Get Hurt or uh, They're yeah. At It Again and those kind of songs, they're all, I think those help. I I think in in the sort of in the ideal version of this those sonic and genre variations elevate all of them like when it's at its best if if that makes sense yes yeah i agree i think that um i think it's it's varying degrees of success but i think when it is like this it is successful i don't know about you but i need to sit down absolutely i mean I can't believe we're just at the interval. We've earned this interval. I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go an, and an have... interval of seven days. Yeah. Well, we're at the theatre, so would you like a warm plastic glass of white wine? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's when in the theatre, do as the theatre. Yes. Um, I think this is. I mean, we spoke about therapy a bit in the intro. I think this has been Kate's therapy for, for <laughs> since since this was inflicted upon her. She, she's not exaggerating either. Like she really has uh, hyper focused on this the last few days. Like she's yeah. she's. I think you know because obviously listeners of the show will know Kate's not a big fan of of no effects. So when I asked her to do this episode. I knew that like she she would do it, but I didn't think that she would do it as enthusiastically as she has done. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Both barrels, feet first, straight away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right in at the deep end. And um and I think that makes that's made this chat all the better. I yeah. didn't know what we were gonna get and we got loads. So yeah, no delighted. Um I might I might promote this around some uh, like the musicals subreddit or something like that. See, yeah, if that's a good idea. Actually, see if they're yeah, interested yeah. because, um, like, an off-Broadway Reddit yeah. or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think people might be uh, might be keen because uh, musical people love talking about musicals. Very true. Good, bad, and indifferent. And I, I think we've managed to get the balance of roast and toast. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're quite. Um... You know, like there are elements of it that I don't enjoy, but I don't think that I've ever coloured the whole of the production with that because there's plenty of things that I do enjoy from it. 
I mean, I'm glad I'm becoming more comfortable in my problematic admissions. <laughs> you see that suicide? That's me. That it's not. It's not Ed. No, it is though. It is. That's definitely me. No, I'm so a suicide. I can tell you that. Right. Um, it's. Uh, it's not how I feel, by the way. That's just just for jokes. But um, yeah, it's. And I think that. I think I've got a bit of a thing of I like to. And I think it's the thing that allows me to enjoy things like uh, classic Doctor Who is that I understand limitations, financial, physical, what have you, time, all of these things. So you go, well, they're doing, they're trying to honour this thing with what they have at the time. And doing that is better than not doing it at all. Yeah. Which is why when people go, but isn't there that classic Doctor Who where the baddie was just a plant? And you're like, yeah, because they had a plant available and they needed an episode of Doctor Who. What would I rather have? No Doctor Who? That'd be disgusting. (laughs) Perverse. Of course I want. So, you know, it's just that thing of, you go, well, you know, they did what they did and everyone pitched in and made the best out of what they had. And I think that there's nothing that is more punk rock than that in my yeah. mind. For my, if there is a definition of punk, I think it is that. And that means that you get imperfect things. Yeah. And that's good because it means that there is something. If there's a perfect nothing, fuck it. It's not worth fuck all, mate. So that's what uh, that's what I reckon. I've become quite quite heated by this now, I can tell. So we'll be back next week with part two. And a little bonus episode next Wednesday as well with a uh, uh, a big reveal of what we've been teasing you with all along now. So, so excited. I know, I know. It's uh, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it greatly. So thank you ever so much. Punk Rock Elite Podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you reckon after you've had a cup of tea and a sit down after listening to this whole thing we get it we get it but just wait until we do backstage passport oh yeah there's days worth of that mate and the book fucking hell so uh nice one cheers red thank you bye everybody thank you for listening to punk rock elite it was a pick scraped and fruitcake co-production by eddie french and red redmond if you're not following us on instagram or subscribe to the podcast please do the main theme and production was done by eddie french please contact us at punkrockelitepodcast at gmail.com thank you